You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 476. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 4S in APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 11th of June, 2021. episode, Canadian safety inspectors explain why a WestJet 737 ran off a runway in Halifax last year. The U.S. downgrades Mexico's air safety rating. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 476 is ready for pushback. He's Radio Roger, and you're not. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-new station in the nation, 1010 Winds in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It is an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, and joining me today from her lakeside studio in... She is a doctor, a skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph. You are muted. I know. I (laughs) clicked it. I don't have this mouse. I think it needs batteries. It's the second time I've done that. So stand by for more um, technical malfunctions from me on the show today. It's going to be one of those days. Yeah. But it's good to be here. I'm excited for the show. It's going to be good. Excellent. And also joining us today from his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, a former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330-340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airlines, and beer drinker, Captain Nick. <laughs> Where's the retard? I, I was waiting. I just couldn't stretch it out anymore. <laughs> I know. It's brilliant. Straight off the bowling green and into the podcast. What a life I lead. Fantastic. Looking forward to tonight. It should be great. Let's do some news. What do you think? Let's do it. No, I don't want to do news. <laughs> so you're not supposed to talk right here. <laughs> I'll fix it in post. Stand by for news. Which means I will not fix it in post. Okay. We know that. <laughs> Zero chance. Yeah. Well, I just it's just more fun to, for people to hear what really happens warts when we all. do this show. Yeah, warts and all, Liz says. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, let's start with this one. Uh, a Frontier A320 at Washington, DCA, Washington National, on the 4th of June, 2021. Runway excursion on landing. This is from the Aviation Herald. Uh, Let's see. They were, uh, it's a 320-200 registration, November 213, Foxtrot Romeo, performing flight 
538 from Denver to Washington National with 151 passengers and six crew was on a visual final approach to run uh, Ronald Reagan Airport's runway 01 with the instruction to maintain 170 knots or greater until 5 DME, which is a pretty common thing, actually. Touchdown at about 22.15 local time, kind of late, uh, but went right off the runway, coming to a stop to the right of the runway with all gear on soft ground and the nose gear just abeam the end of the runway. And Liz has put up an overlay there showing a picture where you can see uh, its final position uh just a little just a wee bit off the uh, right side you mean of the, uh, it's zero. final frontier the final oh <laughs> that's a good one hang on that that yeah, deserves that's worthy of right this. off the bat show titles <laughs> oh why is it not working come on jeff there we go little little uh light on that sorry wasn't ready for you to come up with a rim shot worthy comment. Tighten it up and post. I was uh, surprised myself. <laughs> <laughs> and Liz says, tighten it, uh, tighten it up and post. Okay. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Pardon the interruption. When we're recording the show live, the only person who can hear me is Captain Jeff. Now he's decided to include my audio here in the post show edit. Lucky you. Enjoy. Uh, let's see here. Where was I? Uh, there were no injuries. The aircraft sustained minor, if any damage, the passengers disembarked via stairs onto the runway and were bussed to the terminal. The aircraft was subsequently pushed back onto the runway and towed to the apron. ADSB data transmitted by the aircraft suggests the aircraft touched down at about 160 knots over the ground crossing the runway threshold at about 50 feet AGL. Now, 50 feet AGL, that's a standard height for uh, for airliners. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, any trainer would be pleased if you get over the threshold of 50 feet. That's yeah. bog standard. Most, yeah, most uh, approach plates will say, you know, well, they don't say, it's written on there. Uh, threshold crossing height, TCH of 50 feet, usually right around that. So that's good. Uh, the speed seems a little high to me. Uh, yep. That might Likewise. have been a factor in this. Uh, the weather. Well, that's a ground speed, yeah? Yeah, ground speed. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But, you know, close to the are right. There short runways there? Close to the ground. Do short runways? Liz is asking if there are short runways. Well, not really. I mean, it's a little what's, over 7,000 feet. What's the wind doing? Wind was uh, one eight zero knots at 5, so a little bit of a tailwind. They were landing to okay, the north. So- um, you can assume they're about 155 knots airspeed. Okay. Ish. Yeah. Right. And I'm going. I, I to... can't remember what an A320 lands at. I would have thought it would be reasonably low. 100. And I would think. 35. Something less than 155. Yeah, I'm guessing. What'd you say, Liz? I never flew one. We need Captain Al for. Oh yeah, we do need Captain Al. Hang on, somebody get Captain Al on the on the on the horn. On the blower. Do you, is on he still over at PTUK? Can yeah, you somebody, somebody contact Captain now. We need him on call. And uh, yeah, we'll and tell him to uh, send. We'll send him a link to get him on the show. Um, anyway, and actually, that would be a good idea. But oh well, didn't think of it until now. Um, well, so uh, Ludger Humpbert. Yes. Uh, is he a, a three twenty guy? Seldom faster than one hundred and forty knots. Not sure if he flies three twenty or not. I, I, for some reason, I thought he was okay. a 380 pilot, but I don't know. What, what no, do no, you fly? No, that's Deffen. 
Oh, that's Stefan. Well, I know, but there's there's more there's room for more A380 drivers in our audience list <laughs> than just one. No, no, we're capped at one on the quota. Oh, are we? Oh, that's the quota. <laughs> yeah, but it's such, it's such a big so, airplane; they take up too much space. Yeah. Seven thousand one hundred and sixty-nine feet, um, showing the ten nine airport Ledger diagram. Is a three twenty pilot. Um, he is. He does. Fly. He does fly the A three twenty. There he goes. Or else so he's he, getting married. I'm not sure there. He. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. So, Liz said either he's a three twenty pilot or he's getting married. <laughs> he said, "I do." <laughs> oh my gosh, Liz, you cracked me it. up. All right, seven thousand one hundred fifteen knot yeah. fast uh, on a seven thousand foot runway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little seem, over seven thousand. Doesn't seem excessive to me. No. I mean, you can normally get rid of that without too much problem. Did, did they forget to put the brakes on? Hmm. Doesn't say in this Aviation Herald article that they forgot to. Put or did the brakes they just on. float dreadfully? Because when you're a bit fast, you you and you tweak the nose up a little bit, you can getting ground effect and lose a lot of distance just floating trying to get the wheels on right uh what they were doing maybe uh was something we call the mount vernon visual approach i'm not sure if they do that at night or not i looked at the uh approach plate and i did not see any restrictions as far there are weather restrictions for the uh, mount vernon visual approach to runway one uh, but there, I don't see any nighttime restrictions. Um, here, let me make it. Uh, now we need Captain Craig. That's his home airport. That's right. Where's Captain Craig? He. This is where he flies out of. Anyway, uh, so there's the uh, Mount Vernon visual approach. But either way, whether this was a um, the visual approach or the um, or or just flying the ILS, which is also kind of superimposed on this, and basically. Honestly, the Mount Vernon visual number one or runway one approach is essentially a straight in approach. You see, there's a little jig, jag, zigzag at uh, Baden Baden at 5.9 DME, and then you kind of go back on. And is that you, a place in Germany, Baden Baden? <laughs> Baden Baden, I think you're <laughs> right about that. Um, I don't know what I'm saying, actually. Uh, but, but a lot of people on uh, the social meds said, uh, you know, question, well, was this the river visual 1.9, you know, which is a completely different type of visual approach, a little much more demanding than this approach. <laughs> Have you seen that for my whole boxes? Yeah, I did there we see go. that. Yeah. By above or below the bridge? Above or below the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it doesn't. Yeah. No, it, does, it doesn't. That's, it doesn't um, specify. John Chester you know? knows. Uh, That's a pilot preference, I suppose. Uh, it is flown at night I as well. It. Thank you, John. Usually, see, I, I fly trips that don't normally fly at night, so um, um, I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, I don't see any restriction um, for uh, flying at night. N- nice weather, it seems, though. It's 10 statute miles. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, few at seven and a half. It looks, you know, clear and plenty. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I think a, it just might have been a mishandled touchdown. Yeah. Just kind of a big shrug. A little bit hot. Normally, you yeah. wouldn't want to bit, land with a tailwind, but as you mentioned, Nick, it, it's not much of one. No. Uh, and, um, you know, the 7,000 foot should be adequate for a, you know, a 3,300, That's. Yeah. Really not a problem. So why they dribbled off the end, I I don't know. Perhaps they had a braking problem, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I mean, have they they mentioned any mechanical issues? I don't think so. No, there was nothing in the article. And I looked to see if there was any kind of an update to this uh, incident, and I didn't see anything. 
I reckon that'll just require a few extra trips in the sim. Yeah. Uh, before you go flying again, old chap. Right. Really, honestly, it was mostly a major inconvenience uh, for the passengers and the people that work at the airport. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. And the, oh, and oh, wait a minute! I was supposed to play some audio here. Let's listen to the audio. There was a there was another inconvenience. Uh, there was a flight inconvenienced here. Hang on, let's play. Tower Frontier five thirty eight inbound one. Frontier flight five thirty eight. Watch tower runway one to the land. Runway one to land. Frontier five thirty eight. Frontier flight 538, you got the end. Turn left at the end, Frontier. Frontier flight, can, Frontier flight, and JetBlue 280, go around, climb, maintain 3000, turn left, heading 270. Go around and uh, heading 270, JetBlue 280. Yeah, they just went off the end of the runway. <laughs> We're not going anywhere for a while. Frontier 538. Frontier Flight 538, Roger, sir. I see uh, we're going to get off out there right now. We're, uh, you guys require any assistance? Uh, I think we're just okay. We probably just need to be towed back. Here the altitude for JetBlue 2080. Altitude for JetBlue 2080. JetBlue 280, go around, turn left, heading 270, climb, maintain 3000. 3000, JetBlue 2080. And Frontier Flight at 538, can you guys uh, maneuver there? Probably not without hitting light. Probably uh, Frontier 538. Right, Frontier Flight 53, we're going to get offs out there. Ground Brickyard 4997, spot 9, ready for taxi. All right, on my uh, departure, standby 1. Standby 1, I'll call you guys back. And Frontier from uh, American 2752, we're at the Holtz Road 1-9. I concur with you. Your nose looks like it's just on the runway, so certainly wouldn't maneuver. Frontier Flight 538, don't move, sir. We're going to have ops go out there. Ground Brickyard 4867 at 44, Charlie for push. No pushes, guys, standby. Washington Ground, Fire Command. Fire Command, call, call tower. Yes, sir, Washington Ground, Fire Command. The uh, crash equipment's responding to the north end of runway 19. We're going to take the vehicle lane until we get to the end and looking for a look and go to the, uh, into the site. You can proceed on the runway as well, yes, sir. Okay, very good. The uh, airfields are just confirming. And for 4859, we got three three numbers, if that would help. Break up 4859 right now. We're going to access the, the aircraft. We'll get everybody going here momentarily. Give us about a couple minutes. We're going to we're stopped on departures uh, due to the third situation. Understood. Thanks, Brickyard. 40. Shut up, Brickyard. JetBlue 2080 contact approach on 124.7. JetBlue 2080 contact approach on 124.7. 24.7. JetBlue 2080. Our up, Shit. Our Oops. What's this button do? It sounds like someone's just like zipping. Yeah. It was zipping something zipping down the right. Runway one is yours. Roger that. Ground there, seventeen forty-five. Confirm no push. Pushes now. And yeah, I'm not pushing. And it, it it also kind of sounded like he got caught something caught in the zipper too. <laughs> it did. It did. Hey, just oh boy, on, did uh, those? What's uh, what's going on out there? Oh, that's enough. <laughs> Those frontier guys, they sounded so hacked off, didn't they? Oh, Lord. Yeah. Oh, They're not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. We're not Sorry. going anywhere. Dang it. We can't mm. move. We're on the end of the runway. 
Oh, Gustav has the same so, question I do. Um, what's the PA being made at that point in time? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, as you can see, we have not reached our gate yet, so please uh, remain seated with your seatbelt fastened. And yeah. uh, here's a response from Just the passengers. Just short of the gate. Oh. <laughs> Disgusting. Well, I'm glad we could all laugh about it because there was no real damage done except mm -hmm. to a couple of guys' uh, pride. Um, mm -hmm. yep. so, and a little yep. piece of grass. Um, yep. Yeah, poor grass. Torn up a little bit. And uh, also... Um, hey, that grass is good. You don't watch out for that stuff. That's <laughs> supposed to be nice. That runway, by the way, uh, another uh, referring to some discussion on social media. Uh, you know, someone said, well, that, you know, that's a short runway. It used to be a heck of a lot shorter. I think it was just barely over 6,000 feet. Uh, when I started flying into that airport, you know, when I first started flying at Acme, uh, and they extended it in probably now close to 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And uh, so now it's it's even longer than the runways at LaGuardia. So, you know, it's it's not yeah. a super short yeah. runway. So, yeah. yeah, there we go. Gear is going green. Man, you guys are putting me to work here. Um, let's see. We're going green. We're going green. 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 Nice one. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> well, All what right. can you say? Not a lot. I don't know. An it's embarrassing a, night. Yeah. Frontier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse, as you say. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough of that. Let's uh, continue with one that was a lot worse. Uh, this is from IndyStar.com. Two people died after a plane crashed into a field just outside of Darlington, Indiana, in Montgomery County, about 55 miles northwest of Indianapolis, uh, Sunday around 1020 in the morning, according to Indiana State Police and the Federal Aviation Administration. The single-engine Diamond Katana DA-40 aircraft departed from Lyft Academy, a flight training school in Indianapolis, about 9.53 a.m., according to the FAA. Both people on board were declared dead by the Montgomery County coroner after the plane crashed near the intersection of State Road 47 and County Road 800 East. The identities of the victims had not yet been released or have not been released while next to kin are notified. We are heartbroken by this tragic accident and the loss of our team members. We will support their families in any way possible and work with the NTSB to fully investigate this event, said John Austin, a spokesperson for Lyft Academy. The FAA, the National Transportation Safety Board, and Indiana, 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 Indiana State Police are investigating the accident. Now, uh, many of you who have been with us for a while um, listening to the show uh, may think, hmm, Indianapolis Lyft Academy, that sounds familiar to me. Isn't there someone in our community that works or went through Lyft Academy and then worked as a flight instructor there? And yes, you would be correct. And that was the first thing I thought of when I saw this happen on Sunday. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Now, I did say it was a new instructor, and I'm thinking, well, um, Steve Nicholson, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Louisiana Steve, um, turns out that um, he uh, became an instructor sometime last year or a little over a year ago. And But I, st I was still thinking, ah, I hope that's not Steve. So... I immediately sent an email to Louisiana Steve and said, I hope you respond to this email. And he did pretty, pretty quickly. Actually, I said, cause I heard about this accident 
and I'm just hoping that you weren't involved in it. And he wrote back to me, and he gave me permission to um, read this email to you all. He says, hi, Jeff. Thanks for reaching out. I'm fine, and actually left the Lyft program during the COVID crisis last year. Republic pulled the financial support, and many, if not most, students had to pull out of the program. As a CFI, I couldn't support my family on the part-time hours they could give me, so I took up a position flying skydivers at Skydive Iowa. Glad to have another jumper dumper. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, with that being said, I do have most of the information from the crash today, as I'm obviously close to a lot of the instructors and students. The CFI was a graduate of the program and had only passed their CFI a few weeks ago. The student was brand new in the program and was pre-solo. They were doing stalls en route to a local airport that Lyft uses for pattern work when they got into a spin from which they didn't recover. It's worth noting that Diamond does not allow spins in the airframe when paired with the diesel motor that Lyft uses. So the Diamond DA, uh, whatever airplane they were in, DA40, I guess. DA40 with the diesel diesel version. version of the engine. Um, and he said, it's a sad day for all at Lyft. I know most pilots know of someone who has been involved in an incident, but this is the first for me. And it's been a punch in the gut as I knew the CFI. Thanks for reaching out. Hope is, hope all is well with you, Steve. So, so good to hear that Steve is okay. Um, and that he's a jumper dumper in Iowa and, but you know, uh, Nick for sure. And and well, probably all of us uh, have had the experience where something tragic happens and we know the person involved. And it really is a punch in the gut, especially the first it's time. It's always that a that punch happens. in the gut. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it, it, glad- it, it is tough. But we, we t- in the community, despite the fact that, uh, you know, you just lost a friend, we all tend to assume that, you know, uh, it just happens and life moves on and, uh, once you get over the initial shock, you know, every pilot assumes it'll never happen to them, mm-hmm. um, which, which I think is a very positive outlook. But uh, the more this happens, the more you realize any of us are vulnerable to this sort of thing. I don't know this aircraft type at all. Steph, yeah, you've got a, some yeah, hours on I've got a few similar. hours. I've got a few hours in a DA-40. Um, it's not Austrian, recent. right? Um, it's a good question. I don't I know the answer to. Why do you ask me these things? I don't know the answer to. Uh, oh, I'm no, sorry. It's been. <laughs> I should have been... <laughs> cleared that before we started yes. recording. I'm sorry. Yes. Pre-production <laughs> uh, <laughs> meeting. Someone, someone in the chat room owns one. They're going to correct me here before I can look it up, or they're going to answer your question before I can look it up. Um, no, it's been. An, uh, gosh, it's probably been oh, eight years since I've flown a Diamond Forty. So. Um, I remember them having uh, pretty gentle flying characteristics. They have really, like, if you put the picture back up there, um, they almost give the appearance of being glider-like. The glide ratio is great in them. Um, Aside from checkouts and doing uh, stalls to check out in the aircraft, um, I was just flying it from point A to point B. There it is. Primarily. Yeah. 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 There it is. Yes. Um, very, it nice does little aircraft. look like a glider in a lot of ways, that's for sure. Very long, thin yeah. wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has a great great glide ratio, from what I remember. But Yeah, um, who was it? In the, it was Matt McDonald. I'm going to put your comment up here. He says he owns the DA-40NG. Um, he says it's particularly difficult to stall um, or stall spin. 
that aircraft. Hmm. But. Oh, and just for your info, it's made in Austria and Scandinavia. Hmm. And Chinese owned. There Chinese owned. Yeah. There we go. I'm sure the Canadians had some problems there. Yeah, I think that that's the reason why it probably crashed. It was because it was made in Canada. Uh, that's sad. Yep. I'm okay. just kidding, Liz. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah. Se- segway there, Jeff. Great segue. segue. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Canada. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. Uh, here's a report. Low visibility, blowing snow factors into King Air runway excursion in northern Canada. This is from the Aviation Safety Network. Uh, in its investigation report, TSB Canada identified the recurring issue of approaches continued in low visibility environments as a contributing factor in a Beach King Air runway excursion. The investigation found that the flight crew believed the landing was permitted given the absence of an approach ban and landed even though the reported ground visibility was below the minimum aerodrome operating visibility. Hmm. On the 28th of April, 2020, a Buffalo Airways Beechcraft King Air A100 aircraft was conducting a charter flight under instrument flight ru- rules from the Cambridge Bay Airport, Nunavut, Nunavut, mm-hmm. Nunavut uh, to yeah. Kugaruk, Nunavut, with two flight crew members and freight on board. Immediately after touchdown at that airport that starts with a K, the aircraft veered to Way the right. North. What is it? Way up north. Way up way north. Way up north. Okay. The aircraft. By the way, does Buffalo? Um, they they used to do like a, a TV series on them, Buffalo oh, no, Airways. No. Do they still do that? Yeah. Is no. that still running? Not anymore. I don't know. I mean, they still are an operation, but no TV. They're still an operation, but they're uh, not recording. Okay. Uh, the aircraft veered to the right and departed from the runway surface. The aircraft came to a rest after colliding with a snowbank on the northwest side of the runway. The crew was uninjured and egressed the aircraft via the main cabin door. There was no fire, but the aircraft sustained substan- substantial damage. The investigation determined that during the later stages of the approach, a crosswind from the left and the visual effects of blowing snow contributed to the aircraft being aligned with the right side of the runway. Ooh, that's not a good place to be aligned with. The aircraft touched down near the right edge of the runway, and when the right landing gear impacted the deeper snow along the runway edge, the aircraft veered to the right and departed the runway surface. Approaches to the to airports north of 60 degrees north latitude are not restricted by ground visibility, and as a result, the flight crew continued the approach when the reported visibility was one quarter statute mile. That's low, which is lower than the published advisory visibility of one and three quarter statute miles for this approach. The flight well, crew, yeah, but. What what is the logic behind the sixty north? Or are we going to come to that? I don't know what the logic is, and maybe maybe the visibility year round are just lower. There's no good alternate in uh, a lot of cases. Oh yeah. If good you're point. that far north and there's no other, yeah, I I, I, I would agree, uh, Steph. Having of. flown over that the wilds of northern Canada, there, there aren't many airfields there. There uh, are few and far between. So perhaps you're right. I don't know for certain, though. I'm just um, taking a educated guess. That's all. Well, the, the chat room knows. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, uh, what does the chat room know? Nothing. <laughs> They're good for nothing. They're just good for guessing. Yeah. Um. So, let's see. Oh, Steph, you said looks like the final season was in 2014. Ah. Okay. That was Ice Pilots. Yep. Ice Pilots. That's right. Um. And Ice Road, 
Was <laughs> truckers? That's another one. Ice road truckers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of ice. It's on the Weather Channel. Yeah, it's weather stuff. Anyway, um, the Canadian TSB says that rules that government instrument approaches in Canada are too complex, confusing, and ineffective at preventing pilots from conducting approaches that are not allowed or banned because they are below the minimum weather limits. Uh, in 2020, the TSB issued recommendations calling on Transport Canada to review and simplify operating minima for approaches and landings at Canadian aerodromes and to introduce a mechanism to stop approaches and landings that are actually banned. Anyway, so a lot was learned from this, and uh, hopefully they kind of straightened out some of those rules and made them more easily understandable uh, so that people wouldn't attempt to land in these kind of conditions again in the future, I guess. Yeah, it is a little confusing, though. I mean, you're allowed to do the approach, even though it's not... Uh, the approach itself is not restricted by ground visibility, but the landing still is governed by. Right. So I guess it just makes it easier for you to get down there and take a look and see. Well, I, I'm trying to. I, I don't really have a lot of experience of conditions like this in that part of the world. But an approach ban means you can't make an approach uh, if there's no approach ban in there and the visibility is low. Uh, we were allowed to go down to minimums and take a look. If you got side of the runway, fine and beaut, you can go and land. If you didn't, you went around. Um, if there was an approach ban in force, you couldn't even do that. You had to throw it away at 1,000 feet. Um, but uh, to me, it seems like the visibility was so far below what would have been acceptable for this approach. I'm just a little bit amazed that they attempted yeah. it. Yeah, half, a half statute mile is not a lot of visibility to begin with. No. no. Not at all, and and of course we we we're aware, you know, the uh, the visual uh, distractions of blowing snow. They would have been really well aware, but perhaps they felt they could cope with it. But uh, having landed in a couple of blizzards, I'm, I'm not kidding. It's like driving a car. Snow is big and catches your eye, and when it's blowing sideways across. Uh, your visual field, uh, you get this uh, amazingly strong perception that you're moving sideways, uh, and it is really a, a really nasty environment to uh, try and do a visual landing in. So, you know, I, I don't envy them. I'm a little bit amazed that they even carried on and had a go. I, I would have thought they would have gone somewhere else, but perhaps they didn't have that option. Right. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, I hadn't looked at the uh, actual full report to see, you know, what other factors were being considered yeah. as far as, you know, they had to land yeah. because there was nowhere else to go or they didn't have the fuel to go anywhere else. I don't know. Yeah. But, but Miami Hick. Blowing snow is just horrible. Miami Hick is here. He says, hey. I, I get the oh, wow. ice cold shoulder from my flight attendants. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. Glad you're here, Brent. You should come and work for a nice airline. <laughs> ah, shut up. Well, so this <laughs> crew uh, landed on the right side of the runway with um, not great results. Uh, the next one, uh, this one took off from the left side of the runway. Hmm. This is from uh, Aviation Safety Network, a Cessna 510 Citation Mustang Yankee Romeo Charlie Mike Oscar was cleared for a nighttime takeoff from runway 26 at the Kiev Igor Sikorsky International Airport in Ukraine. Uh, 
At 1810 UTC, after having been cleared to taxi into position on the runway, the aircraft crossed runway 26, passed over the side light number 45, and stopped along the side, the left side, lights of the runway. Um, at 1812, the tower controller cleared the flight for takeoff. The aircraft passed through the side lights number 44, 43, 42, then moved to the left of the line of lights and took off. As a result of the collision and incursion, lights 44 and 42 were destroyed. The aircraft was not damaged. Go ahead and put that up there, Liz, if you'd like. Okay, so here's the runway. Uh, that's the uh, taxiway in which they used to enter the runway from the right lower right-hand corner. Uh, they were told to line up and take off on this runway. And I'm thinking that they were thinking that those lights that they saw out there, those pretty lights all lined up, were runway center line lights. Mm -hmm. That's my guess. But there are no runway center line lights on this particular runway. And they uh, were oh. actually lining up with the left side lights. And those lights weren't embedded in the surface of the uh, runway or the edge. Uh, they were actually on little stanchions, but they were frangible stanchions. So that's why they got away with not doing too much damage to the airplane. They, they safely took off and uh, just the damage was done to the lights, basically. And, and again, their pride. <laughs> so, yeah. But apparently they didn't notice anything that was discovered the next morning on a runway inspection. Yes. Yeah. That is the deal. I have to have a bit of sympathy. I can't say I briefed the configuration of runway lights on every runway. I don't, I have That either. I took off from, so <laughs> I'm good. I mean, we used to uh, do clever things like put the ILS on and make sure the localizer came in and, you know, pay particular attention when you're lining up that you're on the dotted line in the middle, uh, not the solid line on the edge. But mm -hmm. anyway, other than that, if it's, if it's, you know, night, then not easy to see. Now, and this picture that we have here from Google Earth, now I don't know, you know, if this was the actual way the runway looked at the time of this incident, but that the center line, you know, lines are hard. They're very difficult to see. <laughs> oh, they've been well uh, obscured by rubber, haven't they? Yeah. 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 So yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel for these guys. Yeah, a bit of sympathy uh, there, and and of course it's actually a big, wide, presumably ex-military runway. Um, uh, so there's plenty and, of pavement uh, to the to the sides yeah. of the actual runway. Exactly, which is not so, always going to be the case. Know, and and when you're sitting down there, what you know, five feet in the air, um, when you're in a king air, you're not very high up above the surface, are you? You're getting a very oblique view of uh, the runway environment, so it's not easy to. It's not, it's not like this, looking down on top, going, "Oh, you stupid people!" I can see exactly where you line up from where they were sitting. It would be very yeah. flat and. Citation Mustang, tell. a 510 in this one, but same idea. Yeah, I mean, okay. I would imagine that yeah. the Citation Mustang is probably even sits lower than the King Air. Than the King Air. <laughs> I'll yeah. bet. I don't know, maybe about the same. I'm not sure. I have yeah. to see them side yeah. by side. So I, I'm, a, I'm a bit sad for these poor guys. Uh, but having said that, they didn't seem to damage their airplane at all, and those runway 
lights are two a penny. You can get them on eBay for about a tenner each. So that cheap? That cheap, huh? Of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was to say, they're, they're aviation-related, so, you know, normal lights would be... Uh, not in Ukraine. Now you can what? use household lights. Why okay. Then why are we even talking about this incident? <laughs> what the heck? What were we thinking? I think it's a good tale. lesson. It's good a lesson in making... Yeah, absolutely. Making okay. sure you light up in the middle of the runway. Well, then let's move to this next one, then. Maybe it would be worth talking about. Um, more snow. Look at this. Yeah, more snow, oh. more Canada. Uh, more, more Canada. More leaving runways. Come more on. leaving runways. Have you noticed that a lot of these a, things are theme. Canadian? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It might have something yeah. to do with our producer-director, maybe, being in Canada? Yeah, could be. I don't know. It just wants to embarrass Canadian Found pilots. Fascinating. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. um, this is from also from the Aviation Safety Network. Um, let's see in, in a newly in its newly released investigation report, the transportation safety board of Canada, the TSB found that changing runways without recalculating the landing distance required based on the changes in wind and runway surface conditions led to a runway overrun in Halifax, Canada in 2020. And we did, uh -oh. I do remember talking about this, uh, mm -hmm. when, uh, shortly after it happened. On the 5th of January 2020, a WestJet Boeing 737-800 aircraft was conducting flight 248 from Toronto Lester B. Pearson International Airport, Ontario, home of producer-director Liz Piper of the uh, Airline Pilot Guy show, to Halifax Stanfield uh, International Airport in Nova Scotia with 172 passengers and six crew members on board. Well, that's packed. That's a lot of people to be in a 737-800 the flight crew had originally planned to conduct an approach for runway 5. However, due to a lowering ceiling and reduced visibility, the crew requested to change to the runway 14 instrument landing system approach, which allows for landing with lower minimum ceiling and visibility requirements than the approach to runway 5. The aircraft then touched down with a tailwind component on the wet, snow-covered runway. The aircraft could not be stopped, and it overran the end of runway 14, coming to rest in snow with the nose wheel approximately 91 meters beyond the runway end. Let's see, 91 meters, that's a, a couple of feet, I think. Um, what is that, actually? That'd be like three, like 300 feet? 207, call it 270. Uh, 300 feet. 300, 300 feet, feet yeah. yeah. The yeah, investigation found that while preparing for the runway change, the flight crew mentally assessed that the headwind for runway 5 would become a crosswind for runway 14. Yeah, sort of. As a result, they did not recalculate the effects of the wind for the approach to runway 14. Uh, but rather... The rule of thumb is... They ballparked it. If it's, it. If it's exactly uh, 90 degrees, there's, there's no tailwind. Mm -hmm. um, but if it moves to um, 30 degrees more then you get half uh, of that amount is your tailwind. So it actually builds up very quickly uh, if it's not exactly on your beam. So you've got to be careful with these uh, rules of thumb. Yes. You have to be careful with your thumbs. Um, <laughs> yes. Let's see. Let me go here to this and get myself out of the way so you can see it. So runway five, that's the nice long one, uh, 10,500 feet long. And then one four at the top there, Considerably shorter, 7,700. Not short, but it's shorter for sure. 3,000, approximately 3,000 feet shorter than the runway that they had planned to land on. And let's look at the, oh, why is this not working? Okay, I have an app on my phone that I use sometimes for calculating headwinds, tailwinds, crosswinds. So that, that wind that uh, was pretty favor favorable for runway 5, 
when you land a 1-4, turns into a 9-knot tailwind, which is getting close to the maximum tailwind for most 121 carriers, yeah. 10 knots, uh, and 23 knots of left crosswind. So they were kind of half correct. It did turn into a crosswind, but it all it was a, a, a left uh, quartering tailwind, basically. Yeah. And that was pushing them even faster and farther down the runway than they had anticipated. Yeah, shorter runway, nasty slippery conditions. I mean, seriously, guys, you've really got to recalculate every time, and particularly if you've got a runway change, for heaven's sake. Uh, the, the landing distance available is significantly more, so or less, I should say, on that runway. So, you know, just do the math. And I mentioned the I'd, tailwind you know, limitation. And in this case, uh, the operator, uh, WestJet, uh, their maximum tailwind component apparently was exceeded in this case. So it must be lower than 10 knots at, mm. or maybe for this oh, particular wow. runway. That's interesting. Yeah. That is. And uh, by the way, uh, if they had con- uh, calculated the landing distance, they would have seen that that exceeded the runway length available. <laughs> they calculated. So the whole thing. Yeah. Wah, wah. Yeah. Not a yeah. mm-hmm. just just a little bit of uh, probably rush on the flight deck runway change mm-hmm. the conditions change let's uh, oh it will be right we've learned on that before mm-hmm. uh, but no yep oh well um, again uh, no real excuse on this no one. no, no right but again at least there were no injuries so that's if you can so, say uh, anything yeah. good about it. Yeah. It's just dreadful for your career when you make a a screw up like that. Dreadful. Yeah. Let's see. Following the occurrence, WestJet highlighted to its pilot group the importance of using the actual runway intended for landing when making pre-landing performance calculations. The company also (laughs) revised its emergency response checklist to include the requirement to pull the cockpit voice recorder and flight data recorder circuit breakers after an incident. I guess they must have lost all that and is now monitoring yeah, for landings that exceed the maximum tailwind component in its flight data monitoring program. Ah, the snitch program, what we call FOQA. FOQA. At, uh, yeah. Flight yeah. operations quality. I just assurance. like to say FOQA. FOQA. I just, yeah. It just it's sounds a fun so word. nice. But it's and not. It's snitchy. It's snitchy. It's very snitchy. All right. Uh, moving on to F. Um, Tell news overlays uh yeah hang on with the um you yeah. can do the united uh overlay okay, if you like it. yeah united airlines Ooh. will buy 15 ultra fast airplanes from startup boom supersonic i've always i still think that boom is a bad name boom, for boom, uh, aircraft manufacturer <laughs> but yeah it's just me um the carrier is buying 50, let's see, United is planning to turn the friendly skies into the ultra fast skies with the addition of supersonic jets. The carrier announced Thursday it's buying 15 planes from Boom Supersonic with the option to purchase 35 more at some point. Boom's first commercial supersonic jet, the Overture, has not been built or certified yet. It is starting or targeting the start of passenger service in 2029 with a plane that could fly at Mach 1.7 and cut some flight times in half. That means a flight from New York to London that typically lasts seven hours would only take three and a half hours. Oh, thank you for doing that math for us, whoever wrote this article. We couldn't figure out how to make half of seven hours. Uh, <laughs> Boom's vision. That's When is it ever seven hours? Half that time's on the ground. Uh, that's true. In one of those places. Good point. Anyway. 
Boom's vision for the future of commercial aviation, combined with the industry's most robust network in the world, will give business and leisure travelers access to stellar flight, a stellar flight experience. That's from United CEO Scott Kirby in the release press release. Um, yeah, so let's see. Since it was founded in 2014, Denver-based Boom Supersonic has raised $270 million in capital and has grown to 150 employees. Uh, for founder and CEO Blake Scholl, a landing a firm order with a legacy airline validates his vision of bringing back supersonic flights. Anyway. Um, so, uh, this generated some, um, social media buzz and some, uh, memes from pilots <laughs> and, um, go ahead and throw that one up there, Liz. Uh, this is a United crew realizing most of their international layovers will become turns after the airline orders 50 supersonic jets. <laughs> so <laughs> a turn is a, a term that some of us use for an out and back, like no layover in Paris, no layover in London. <laughs> Because you're no, going to go. Sorry, got to come home. Same yeah. day. I saw another one that said uh, the uh, mainline United pilots finally realized that this was probably going to be flown by regional pilots. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there you go. Stephen Ivey is on the ball there. Oh, Acme true. Jr. is flying these. We're going to fly <laughs> Chicago, Chicago. here, London, Norwich. Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. How does he have this inside information already? That's pretty I'm amazing. I'm very impressed. Yeah. It's the PT UK. Uh, news travels fast. News, <laughs> news tra- fast. does travel fast. Oh, I don't know. Oh, here's a good one from Miami Hick again. Oh, Miami Hick says uh, California Airlines is buying one. It will be a kaboom. Kaboom. <laughs> C-A-B-O-O-M. Wow. That's a good one. Here, let me get back here to this and hit. Thank you, Miami Hick. Um, so I, you know, I, well, you guys know how I feel about this whole supersonic thing. I'm, you know, Arian, we just talked about what last episode, uh, yeah, Arian went under, yeah. uh, and they yep. seem to be like either tied with the lead or in the lead for, you know, making progress very and skeptical here. manufacturing. Skeptical. Yeah. My main man, Micah, this whole boom deal is just vaporware. I, I tend to kind of feel the same way. I'm, I don't I'll know. I mean, it when I see it. Yeah, technologically, like it it's not hard. I mean, we've been building supersonic aircraft uh, of an equivalent size for decades. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've just got to get down and 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 do it, and make sure you got the market right, and uh, you build it to the right size. Figure out how to make it profitable. Yeah, or at least yeah, that's going to be the loss. hardest thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're the only person in the world offering supersonic flights to a businessman. Uh, I think, you know, there's a reasonable chance. There's an awful lot of um, nostalgia um, created around Oh, sure, I'd on one. So I, I think it would be very mm-hmm. popular. Whether it would be popular for 25 years, I don't know. Right. The, the chat room keeps <laughs> cracking sure us up. Baboom. 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 boom Very good. Yeah. Dude. That was from Stephen Ivey. A uh, bunch of comedians in the chat room, you know. I'd start feeling bad yeah. if I were you. There are a lot of uh, comedians, like real comedians, that are out of work. Okay. Yes. <laughs> You're taking their jobs. Yeah. Stop it. All right. Um, and then finally, uh, news. Let's see. U.S. downgrades Mexico's air safety rating. This is from the Wall Street uh-huh. Journal. Yeah. yeah. Um, the United States on Tuesday downgraded Mexico's aviation safety rating, an action that bars Mexican carriers from adding new U.S. flights 
and limits the ability of airlines to carry out marketing agreements with another with one another. Over the objections of the Mexican government, the U.S. FAA announced the downgrade and said it would increase scrutiny of Mexican airline flights to the United States. The U.S. air regulator added it is fully committed to helping the Mexican Aviation Authority improve its safety oversight system to a level that meets international standards. The agency also said it is ready to provide expertise and resources to resolve issues raised in the safety assessment process. The FAA downgraded Mexico, the most common international destination for U.S. air travelers, last month from a level called Category 1, which signifies compliance with international standards, to Category 2, the lowest level. Well, they only have two categories. There's only two levels? I guess. It's either meets standards or Or does not meet standards. Exactly. But, you know, you could proudly say, though, if you did get downgraded, well, we're Category 2. We're, We're striving for that extra to get up to category one. Well, but, most you know. people are category one. We're category two. We're basically there. Yeah. But most people wouldn't know Amos that category two is like the bottom. Thing out of being number two? What, what would you say, uh, Liz? Didn't Avis Rent-A-Car make a whole advertising campaign out of being number two? I think uh, Avis Rent-A-Car did do a whole campaign about being number two. But um, And a lot of people call me number two, but I don't think this is what they're referring to. All right. Let's, um, anything else to say about this? I know there are several operators, including, uh, the, the sister, uh, airline from Acme that has a, uh, code share agreement with a Mexican airline and I'm sure other legacy carriers do as well. And I'm sure that this is going to affect things, but it did say it, it prevents them from adding any more flights. So I don't think they're cutting or ceasing the flights that are already in operation to the United States. That's the way I read it anyway. Okay. Well, anyway, we just thought we'd throw that out there. And that is going to do it for our news segment today. And that means it's time now for us to do this. Getting to know us. At time of the show, where we talk about what all of us have been doing between episodes of the show. Now, at the beginning of the show, you may have noticed Radio Roger, his voice changed in there when he was talking about where we were. I was recording from today, from where, I guess I should say, and what day we were recording. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had to overdub that. Um, we were supposed to record on Monday, so when Radio Roger did our voiceover for the announcement, the intro, that was going to, that's what was going to happen, right? Right, stuff. That was the plan. I was, yeah. We were supposed to do the show together in person. Yeah. In Charlotte. That was going to be fun. And but I was just I was, about to leave my office. Timing was looking really good on things. I was going to stop and grab some beers and then, you know, make my way over to the airport, try to heckle your landing a little bit. Mm, and I'm glad then, that didn't uh, happen. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, meet up with you for the show. But someone called me like as I was trying to wrap up and leave the office. Mm-hmm. And that would have been me. That would have been you. Yeah, so. With some news. I was a little bummed. Uh, so here in the United States last week, this big giant blob, and that's the best way to describe it, of thunderstorms. And it wasn't like a little line that was just moving really rapidly from west to east. It was just this big giant blob that like covered most of 
Louisiana and Mississippi and a major part of Texas. <laughs> and it, it didn't move very fast. It was just kind of like one of these air mass thunderstorm systems that just stayed in place and caused a lot of flooding problems and everything else, and uh, especially in Mississippi and Alabama. Anyway, went down to Houston and back, and on the way back from Houston to Atlanta, we got the the old, I, on our airplane, um, when we get a reroute message or with our airline, um, they, they don't send you the message right away on the ACARS. You just hear it, they just like send it somehow directly to the printer. And every time I hear, like without any chime or anything else, I hear that printer starting to make a lot of noise over on the first officer side. I'm thinking, uh oh, <laughs> that's not, it's not a good sign. That usually means reroute. And so, well, then after the printer's been printing for a little bit, look on the screen and there's a message, uh oh, reroute for pilot position A and B. And it said, instead of you going to Charlotte, a nice short flight to Charlotte, uh, you're going to go uh, back to Texas, but not Houston, where there really isn't any weather. We're going to send you to Dallas, <laughs> which is, wah, wah, wah. yeah, there was a lot of weather that was just about about to make its way through Dallas, Texas, but it was like blocking any access to Dallas coming in from the east. And I should have, uh, I should have yeah, uh, your gotten my flight. Yeah. Um, uh, plot uh, from my routing from that flight. Well, we went down basically, you know, normally from Atlanta to Dallas, we go pretty much due West, you know, not quite, but you know, we go over Meridian, Mississippi and Jackson, Mississippi and Alexandria, Louisiana, and then into Texas over Tyler, Texas. And then you basically approach Dallas from the South East. Uh, a little bit, not Do you far. want me to send it to you, Jeff? I've got it here. Well, I probably have it, Liz, somewhere. Um, let me see, because I know I, I sent it to you. Um, so we can always, I can always cut this out of, uh, of the uh, show while I try to find this so everybody can see I'm just it. Sen- I'm just sending it now. Okay. She's sending it to me. The APG crew. Okay. APG crew. Waiting for it to come in. It's coming. Sorry. Okay. Turn your phone on, Liz. Here it okay, comes. There it is. I'm just kidding. She had her phone on. Um, okay, I'm going to open with preview, and then I'm going to share this so we can all see this together. It's fun. Here we go. Sure. Okay, here we go. So you basically went over Houston anyway. Yeah, to to where we had just, we'd just gone back and forth between Atlanta and Houston. And, you know, that was a good part of it because I knew that relatively uh, the, the the flight path was going to be clear of uh, major weather systems. But you see, we went out actually off the coast of Louisiana out into the Gulf of Mexico, like 50 miles and then back onshore over Houston and over Austin. And, and initially our flight plan had us going all the way out to San Angelo, which is like way out West. And then come back around and we said, you know, can we like not do that? And can we just, you know, after we get clear of the weather, can we just go north and head back up? And every time we tried to get a little shortcut, uh, the response from the Air Route Traffic Control Center controller was, well, no, we can't can't give you any shortcuts because uh, uh, it, it'll disrupt the flow of traffic. So because so much traffic was taking that standard or not, not standard, but that same routing. 
uh, they couldn't let anybody do shortcuts apparently. And everything was really messed up in Dallas, as you can imagine. Um, so we the finally, good news is, I was going to say the good news is none of your passengers had their window shades open. So when you were over the Gulf of Mexico, no one was confused. Or well, a good thing was there was a, a lot of clouds that were it was obscuring. Ah, so <laughs> we were the only ones uh, that knew. And by the looks of it, it took you so long. The weather cleared. Well, the the, run, the weather did clear. Actually, it was a pretty nice day when we finally got to Dallas. And then we landed <laughs> and uh, a very long, protracted um, approach and arrival procedure, which is... Uh, it was painful. We got on the ground. Yay. We're on the ground finally. And, you know, already the flight is like close to an hour longer than what it was supposed to be. And we get on the ground. Well, at Dallas Love Field, it's a political thing with the with another airline, uh, mm-hmm. which is their home and the city of Dallas and a lot of other factors that I don't understand. We get one. We have one gate. And it's not really only and you have to share it with them. We have right? to share it with Southwest. And I'd say eight times out of ten that I've flown into Dallas, love, we the gate is still occupied by another airline's jet. Guess what? Yeah, it was occupied <laughs> when we got on the ground. We Of course it was. Forty five minutes on the ground before we finally got access to uh, our shared gate. You know, honestly, the people, the flight attendants must have just been awesome uh, because the people on board when they were getting off the airplane, I would have, I kind of expected them to just be seething mad because the the flight was so long to begin with. It was like three and a half hour flight or something, um, which it only should be I don't know, under two hours. Um, but they were pretty happy to be there. So I was, I was pretty uh, impressed. Better than spending the night in Atlanta. Yeah, and I guess they understood. They, they were still alive, yeah. so they were, they were very happy. <laughs> yeah, and especially you know when they found out that I was the captain, <laughs> they thought, "Oh, we're so just we're just so happy to be alive because oh we've heard God. about you, Captain um, Jeff, and we've survived." Well, yes, um, exactly. Um, so now I understand why they were so happy. But uh, anyway, yeah, that was a messed up day, and then we so laid was that over the end of your reroutes, Jeff. No, no, Liz, that Liz is asking. So, Jeff, was that the end of your reroute? No. Uh-oh. The next day, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, that's no problem. Instead of being in Charlotte tonight, I'll be in Dallas. And then tomorrow, I'll pick up the rest of the trip. So, we were flying, bebopping, happy. We're heading to Atlanta, and we're going to end up in Houston that night. And again, weather down in Houston was uh, not bad. And we got another reroute message. So... Now, this is what you're going to do. After you get to Atlanta, you're, oh, and we were just going to deadhead to Houston because, you know, we were getting back into Atlanta too late for our original flight from Atlanta to Houston. So I'm thinking this is going to be an easy day. I just fly one flight to Atlanta, get off, and then let somebody else fly me to Houston, get off the airplane, just to be clear. And they said, nope, you're going to fly this airplane to Tulsa. And then, you're going to, oh, that's it. No, okay, that was you it. In, you stayed in Tulsa. Yeah, stayed in Tulsa. That's right. So that was our second reroute. And so instead of being in Houston, we were in Tulsa. Okay, no big deal. I didn't have any plans with anybody to do a podcast in in uh, Houston. So I was not I was not in Houston on- No, you weren't? Wednesday, Tuesday. You mean you had driven down there specially, Steph? A little disappointed. No. With no, the no. beer you bought- 
I'm kind of half expecting you to do. Oh, oh. Jeff, look what Larry. What an admission. Yeah. Hey, Larry. Uh Yeah, I was in Tulsa, but trust me, by the time I got in, I was so, uh, I was just so beat. Um, Yeah. He's, he's going to be upset with me now. I didn't call him. Sorry, Larry. Just, just, just. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Next time. I'm sure I'll be in Tulsa again. In fact, next month, I think I bet a trip that has a Tulsa layer. Because you could have just missed that bit out of your uh, story. No, yeah, no, I could have, but truthful. I want to be I want to yeah. be transparent with everybody. Um, okay, so two reroutes, that's so, not bad. Yeah, so Liz is saying, so two reroutes, that's not bad. It's a four-day trip. That's not bad. So the next day, guess what? Ding, ding, ding. Yep, you're right. Got rerouted again. We went from Tulsa to Atlanta, and then to where did we go? Huntsville. Huntsville, thank you. Ba- Liz more, knows more than I do. <laughs> then we went to Huntsville, Alabama, and then we did a double deadhead from Huntsville, Alabama to Augusta, Georgia, which is where I was supposed to be on the third night, the first time in our, on the trip that we actually laid over in the in, in the city that we were supposed to. So um, I also did not drive to Augusta. I know. I noted that. I'm a bit disappointed. You went chasing That's, around the country. Well, I mean, Augusta's a lot closer. For me to get to, it's a lot closer than, <laughs> yeah. than Houston, to be fair. But, no. But she has a life and things to do. So, you know, you can hardly blame her. So, by this point, I'm going like, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to be our fourth? So, three reroutes on my trip. And, man, I am I was uh, communicating with Liz and everybody and our, our crew here saying, you know, trips like this make me really start to think about, you know, considering an early retirement because <laughs> this is not mm-hmm. fun. I yeah. can recommend it. Yeah. Uh, you don't seem to be any less busy, though, than you were. No, but he's no, doing no, the things he wants all, to be doing. Yeah. It's so voluntary. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He makes his own misery. No one else is making it for him. <laughs> true. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Absolutely. So, yeah, it was quite a trip. So instead of going Charlotte, Houston, Augusta, we did Dallas, Tulsa, Augusta. Sorry, Larry. I promise I'll make it up to you. Um, and, uh, oh, by the way, Larry, I have a question for you. I think he works on um, electronic things at the uh, Tulsa airport, amongst other things. He's a contractor, um, electrical um, contractor. And there is a sign above all the gates there. And there, there's a like one of these... Um, fancy lighted electronic signs. Now, I don't know if you have anything to do with this. I doubt it because the one over A6 or A4, A6, I think, is not working correctly. And I've noticed this for a while now. It has a date. specific. The date on it says, like when we came in, it said Friday. It wasn't Friday. Um, and a certain time wasn't even close. Um, and it was the year was 2035, I think. Or 2036. Oh, it's in the future. Yeah, way in the yeah, future. It's back to the future. Back to the future. Yeah. Ooh. So, Larry, do you know so anything about sign that sign? The, <laughs> this is a sign facing the aircraft. <laughs> yeah, it's a sign facing the uh, the aircraft. So when we're coming in, it's nice they have signs that are greeting you uh, to you know wherever you are. Uh, but it's just always I, I looked at that and went, wait a minute, uh, something wrong. Have I been in a coma for the last Larry is thirteen responding. years? Oh, Larry says he's a consultant. Thank you. Those are the gate uh, flight information display systems. I will tell the appropriate person. I'm sure they already know, Larry. (laughs) I was just kidding. I knew you had nothing to do with that. If you did, then they wouldn't be all messed up. But 
Okay. Anywho, what's this? Matt McDonald. I'm your age, Jeff. Kicked work to the curb last summer. Busy as hell, but doing what I want to do and when. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, you know, I'm supposed to have two and a half years to go, but I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it two and a half years. Miami Hick is uh, on it today. He's saying that the signs are wrong. It's going to be a funny old show if uh, Steph and Rick are the only ones uh, current on an airplane. I know. That will be weird. Brent. Uh, I definitely would need Rick to be here for all the shows because I don't have the same level of technical knowledge. Yeah, you do. <laughs> At least not about jets. You just we just make it up like we do. Um, yeah, Brent, Miami Hick. He said that sign is for the supersonic jets. <laughs> oh, the ones that arrive in the future. <laughs> yes. They're, yep. They're way ahead of everybody else. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, sorry it took so long for me to talk about that trip from hell. Oh, you had an eventful week. I'm not surprised. Well, see, what was really the problem is that we had planned, you know, I oh, I lug all my stuff, all my gear to do the show. And it's a little extra gear because I knew I was going to be doing it with Steph. So I have my my uh, studio gear bag, which is very heavy. Oh, I have a big book that I was going to give her and a nice tray, which doesn't really take up much room and, and was pretty light. So I really can't complain about that, but I had to lag or lug, lug that stuff with me for the whole four days. And I, I still have it. Who are we going to blame? I'm going to blame. To be fair, I, I lugged extra like podcast equipment with me to work on Monday too. Oh, you and did? That was difficult. Okay. Well, you know what? I, well, I had my laptop sh- and my, I wasn't sure what you had. I wasn't sure so you I were going to bring anything either. So I, I went ahead and had enough stuff for, for you as well. Oh, but okay. Anyway. No, I have so, a new laptop that I was going to show off. Oh, a new laptop. Yes, what? Yes. Oh. Well, it's a work laptop, but oh. it is fancy. Yeah. Oh, I was also disappointed. Speaking of, has nothing to do with flying. Oh, yeah. Um, Apple. Bummer. I was expecting them to announce my new laptop availability. But they didn't say squat about hardware at all at the WWDC worldwide. Piling on this week. Yeah. Developers conference. Another, yeah, developers conference. Another reason for this week to be just But there was something nice happened this week, Jeff. Well, something nice did happen this week. I'll get to that in just a moment. I was going to just complain a little bit more. Um, because. (laughs) Is it going to be, is it a long enough complaint for me to take a quick physiologic break while you do? But you can go ahead and, and take we'll a your break. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so uh, the problem was that, you know, we had planned to record the show on Monday. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe we can do it on. Did we decide Tuesday was a possibility, Liz? No, Wednesday. Wednesday. No, we tried. We thought no, Wednesday we for sure. When I get into Augusta really early in the day, which you know, that didn't happen. I didn't get in until, you know, five or six o'clock. So, yeah, here we are on Friday. But at least. I'm lucky. Yeah. Third time's a charm. So, uh, and the good news, thank you, Liz, for reminding me, you know, I talked about, um, the fact that, uh, Stefan, um, from, um, Hamburg, Germany, um, sent some really special gin and a special bottle from his hometown. And I was derelict in duty and checking my PO box, by the way, if you send anything to me now, send it to the, the address listed on the website and it's my home address so that I don't have to go and check my PO box all the time. Um, and because I keep like this kind of thing happens, this is not the first time that it's happened where they've sent something back because I didn't check my PO box, uh, often enough. But we didn't think they would send it back. No. So we were thinking that 
they were not, they, in the thing that said, if you don't get it by this date, and that was like two weeks before I was actually reading it, uh, then we're going to send it back. And I'm going, yeah, right. You're going to send it back to Germany. You're going to take it back in the back and drink it. I know what you're going to do. Well, we got a nice email from Stefan and he said that, guess what? They actually sent the gin back to him in Hamburg, Germany. And he's sending it back to me again. I told him he didn't have to do that. Hmm. And, I, and in fact, I even offered to pay. Best travel gin in the world. Yes, the best travel gin in the world. Um, is, it's uh, racking up more uh, frequent flyer miles than I am. <laughs> yeah, it is. So it's on, it's on its way back to me for the, for the second trip Yay. across the Atlantic. So I can't wait to get it. So thank you so much, Stefan. And I really am sorry that uh, I didn't. And I think you owe those postal workers an apology. I do. You're right. I I apologize. If you're listening, I don't think they're listening to the show, but if you are, I apologize. Dave is. Well, Dave, but but Dave's not. Well, yeah. Okay. I could see how he might get upset with the, with the idea that postal workers would do something dishonest like that. Sorry, Dave. Yep. My bad. Or anybody out there who is a postal worker, please accept my apologies. You, what did you say, Steph? I think you've, oh, I said I would. You would what? Have drank the gin. Oh. <laughs> like if it got uh, delivered to my house by mistake, I'm like, oh, well, oh. that's well, a happy accident. I thought it was for me. I drank it. I did not read the label for who, yeah. <laughs> the address label. I drank it really fast. <laughs> really fast. Yep. It was very so nice. Sure it was good. <laughs> oh, so I can't wait to uh, get it and drink it and tell everybody about how good it is. So thank you, Stefan, for that. Okay, that's enough. I know I took a, a, a considerable amount of the getting to know us time. It was therapy about my for stuff. you, Jeff. We understand. It was. It was therapy for me. Thank you, Liz. I <laughs> appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> if, if not enough, there's the, you know. Got some, uh, I got a big bottle of. Um, oh, yeah, the couch. There. Right. And then mm-hmm. I have a big blue bottle oh, back behind me over here. And Nick knows what that is from that place. Uh, that we yeah, be, Not far from where yeah, Nick lives. Bombay, Bombay. Bombay. Sapphire. Yeah. Sapphire. Anywho, yes. uh, that's enough. How come it isn't Mumbai Sapphire? Um, I don't know because they're using the they're old the name. Not the they're name. like a, they're, they might be giant song about stuff like that. Old New York was once New Amsterdam, and Istanbul was Constantinople. And can you sing that? For Bombay is no. Okay. Mumbai, I think that's in there. Oh wait, just kidding. It'll be on her new record. It will be on her. No. Liz says that that will be one of the um, cuts on her new record. Yeah, which I, she'll I, be can't, releasing. I can't sing it live. Oh, we're doing uh, we're doing a double LP, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Oh, yeah. There's a lot, a lot of material to cover. Yeah, you and I are both going to be on it. <laughs> oh, nice! I can't okay. wait. I, yeah, I've, yeah, <laughs> I've forgotten about Apparently. that. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, speaking of the uh, the record deal and the recording studios and all that kind of stuff, stuff. Um, have you been busy with that or what? What's been it was on hold the yeah. past two weeks or so. Um, so let's see. I think we did the show last Tuesday. I think was I left a little bit early because I had dinner guests or something that night. I think that's why I have a fuzzy memory of what happened on uh, that's right. that show. Yeah. Yes. Something along those lines. Anyway, we already mentioned a little bit about some of the weather that um, has been in this part of the country over the past, not just week, I'd say two weeks. It's been 
it's it's definitely warm and humid and thunderstorm season in the south of the United States. Um, and that's part of my story here that I'll get to in a moment. Um, but anyway, Wednesday, um, I had a relatively short day at work and had a message that um, one of the planes um, that was at getting its annual done in um, Raleigh was ready to come back, the 182. Um, and if I wanted to, I could go get it and bring it back. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so I had plenty of time to do that. So um, pulled up everything, looked at the weather. There was a line of thunderstorms moving through the Raleigh area, but Raleigh is not, you know, super close to Charlotte if you're driving there and you think you're going to be there in a couple hours and the forecast looked good, like a VFR window and plenty of time to get there, get back before dark. So headed that direction. And Window, you said? Um, window? What's that? Window? Window. Okay. Window of time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, let's just say that that forecast was not great or accurate. <laughs> um, so the thunderstorms did move through, but uh, what ended up happening, that, that VFR window that they thought was going to occur never happened because the uh, temperature dropped a bit and the dew point was really high. And um, Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that a weather forecaster or meteorologist got the forecast wrong? What? I am I am just stating the facts of what actually oh my happened. Gosh. I'm stunned. You know. Yes. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, you know, there's always there's always a risk that, that stuff like stuff like that's gonna happen, whether weather's not the weather itself is not um as forecast or, you know, airplane coming out of annual, something's actually not quite ready to go. Um there's always a backup plan to to get back home because this was the middle of the week for me. I did have to be at work at 8 a.m. on Thursday morning. Okay, no problem. Um, not going to happen tonight. So, um, like, I'll just book the first flight, commercial flight out of Raleigh in the morning, which is like 5 a.m. Um, so that's a whopping 35 minutes and gets me back into Charlotte plenty of time to to get to work. So I did that. And I was like, well, I really need to stay at an airport or at a hotel by the airport because getting an Uber, especially at 5 o'clock in the morning, is not super easy. Um so I jumped in an Uber that evening, basically went across town from like the northeast side of Raleigh all the way to kind of the south or I guess west side of Raleigh where the airport actually is. Um, checked into the hotel, told them I needed the first like, van over to the airport in the morning, which was like 4 a.m. Um, for my 5 a.m. flight. And at this point, it's already like, it's kind of late. It was, it was after nine o'clock by this point because um, it actually took me a while to get an Uber across town. Um, and then it was a 45 minute drive. And got up to the hotel room and didn't really have a whole lot of stuff with me because I really wasn't planning on staying in Raleigh. Um, so kind of pulled stuff out of my pockets, had my phone, my headphones, my keys, and not so much my wallet. Um, <laughs> yeah. So started looking around the hotel room. Uh -oh. I was like, man, did I did I take my wallet out somewhere? Did I like walk in the bathroom and put it on the counter or something? Is it in my bag with my headset? Nope. None of those things. Um, so I pulled up, I have one of those, um, tile, uh, devices that you can put like on your keys or your wallet. If you lose your, um, yep, yep. Your stuff. I know those. I've got some of those. So I pulled up the app and it actually did show it, um, like the, the path that I took in the Uber to get to the hotel. Um, was the last place it pinged was at the, like in the front entrance area. Like, Oh, uh, well maybe I just put it on the counter when I came in and was talking to the lady about getting the, the shuttle to the airport. So I went down there. Nope. I'm like, well, 
walked outside, like walked around the area where I got out of the car. Nope, nothing. Um, and then I was like, well, it must be in the Uber still. Somehow it fell out of my pocket at some point driving across town. So I sent a couple messages to the, the Uber driver and no response. I'm like, well, okay. So now it's like after 10 o'clock at night and I've got a 5 a.m. flight and I have no form of identification at all on me whatsoever. That shouldn't be a problem. Uh, not a problem. <laughs> it's totally fine. And I have to be at work at eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, totally fine. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm, and you're limited to like how many messages you can send um, drivers, I guess, because they don't want you like blowing up their phone while they're trying to drive. So I sent a final one. I was like, well, I really have to get some sleep. Um, if you do happen to see it there, you know, if it's just either let me know, or if you just want to drop it at the hotel, like they'll let me know, whatever. Um, and I, I passed out. Alarm went off at 3.30 in the morning. No messages. Stopped at the front know. desk. No wallet. I was like, well, we're going to see how this goes. Hmm. <laughs> so got on the uh, the shuttle, went over to the airport. Um, thankfully, so every, there was a huge line like to check in, but there was no one going through security yet. So I walked immediately over there, um, kind of like the the cliff notes version hi i'm here i have a, a flight that leaves in like 45 minutes and i have no wallet and no id uh what do i do was this <laughs> it at got the lost in an uber ticket counter or no this is tsa oh okay yeah um ticket counter i don't think could help me at all um well i know what that is said to me but what did they say to you they said <laughs> well are you sure you don't have any form of identification whatsoever? I said, I have a photo of my passport on my phone. And they said, we don't care about that. Do you have anything physical, like tangible? I said, no. I was like, I'm standing, you know, I have like one tiny little, I have like my headset with me and my jacket that I'm wearing <laughs> and my phone. Like I have, this is what I have. Um, she's like, you said, where'd you say you left it? I'm like, it's in an Uber. And I'm certain of it because now I can see it pinging different places like around Raleigh. Um, she goes, hmm, okay, well, we need you to go back and get a printed boarding pass. I said, why can't you use the one on my phone? They said, well, we just need a printed one in this case. I'm like thinking about this huge line of everyone like checking in and waiting to use like the automated kiosks and stuff. <laughs> so I go running back over there and like this line is going to take forever. Um, but there was a lady who worked for the airline kind of directing people. Okay. If you have bags, you need to go to this one. If you don't have bags, just over here. So I stopped right away and I said, look, uh, kind of a, you know, um, Interesting situation. I just need a printed boarding pass for TSA. I'm already checked in. I don't need to do any of this stuff. Um, and I kind of pointed to my boarding pass where it pointed out like my status level with the airline too. She goes, oh, uh, okay. Hold on one second. She just walked over with my phone, scanned the thing, printed out the boarding pass, walked right back to me. It's like, okay, great. Thanks. Um, so I ran back over to TSA, went back to the supervisor and then she had to make a phone call and I don't know who they're calling. I guess like TSA headquarters or their uh it's the president definitely the president, <laughs> the president. Yeah. um and i'd fill out this form where like i hand wrote down all my info again it's you know i have pictures of this stuff on my phone i had to handwrite everything um and she's going what does that say your handwriting is kind of difficult to read i'm like i'm a doctor no, no kidding <laughs> <laughs> so she's like rereading all of my information to this person over the phone i'm like i could just probably tell them that since i wrote it down there in the first place um, and but, but like, no reason like to get snarky pause. at this point because <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just, yes, thank you. Uh, very polite, uh, chilling, lots of nodding and smiling and yes, thank you. I appreciate uh -huh. your help. Um, 
lots of questions, uh, you know, like personal questions about like, where was your social security card issued? Like what state was it issued in? And so obviously stuff that they have, that's, um, you know, if they were going to do like a background check or something, they have access to all that information. Um, interesting questions. I won't go through all of them, but, um, Stuff that I was a little surprised Do that they were able podcast? to podcast. Yeah, are you a <laughs> co-host on a <laughs> they, aviation? Not podcast. so much. Not about podcasting, <laughs> but they, they did know some things, which I was I was just a little surprised. I was like, oh, uh, yeah, actually, yeah. How'd you know mm-hmm. that? Hmm. They were in your FBI dossier, um, and then I guess I answered all of their questions satisfactorily because she said, okay, come with me, and she scanned the printed boarding pass, and I had to go through like the whole, you know, um, didn't pre-check stuff was obviously out the window like take off your flip-flops okay here you go um and swab all the things down swab your hands all that good stuff um but made it through and they let me on the plane amazing and then uh-huh. <laughs> by pure coincidence and stroke of luck my my car actually was at the airport in charlotte i'll get into all those details of logistics um but i, I wouldn't have normally left it there it was just pure luck um but then i'm on the plane i'm like going well, I don't have my wallet. I don't have um, the the ticket for the parking garage, and I don't have a credit card or money. Uh, I have Apple Pay, <laughs> but fortunately, they were able to let me out of the uh, the garage with Apple Pay. Awesome! So, Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, and then I was very thankful for Apple Pay for breakfast at McDonald's and the Walmart app to buy. Um, I only had flip flops with me, so I had to buy some shoes for work on the way to work. Um, yeah, I don't recommend. Well, oh, and then about that. Where those plastic clogs? And by the way, where's your wallet? So yeah, that's. I was just getting to that. Um, okay. As I was leaving the leaving the um, parking deck at Charlotte, I got a message from the hotel that my wallet had been dropped off. Hey, so, excellent! I had a contact who was able to well retrieve done. it and return it to me. So cool. Well, thank you. Uh, an honest Uber well. driver. Uh, Stephen yeah. knows all about Uber driving. And very, he's very honest. honest so. I was just surprised he the, the Uber there driver never sent me a message back directly. Just oh, nice. But he he did return it. So okay, thank, I'm very thankful for that. Left what, the what biggest tip it would allow me to stool sample. <laughs> stool sample. Well, I wasn't going to bring up that part of it. It was a little awkward <laughs> to have to do it in the TSA line. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. they said, "They said, can I use the restroom for this?" They said, "No, you no. have to right here in no. the, in the scanner." You know, when your like hands are, you know, pooping um, in the. Scanner. Oh yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Pooping in Here's the scanner. See the scanner title. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, I, I love. Uh, and the rest of the it. week was anticlimactic. I have not managed <laughs> really? to lose my wallet again since. <laughs> well, I, you know, thankfully, you know, you've never had an issue with um with, with my your wallet, wallet has never tried to depart my company before. No, especially with like around times when I'm going to travel. Right. That's never happened. No, never. I don't know what episode number that was, but yeah. I was trying to get to to <laughs> London, and my wallet also went missing right before that flight, and that yep. was fun. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah, driver. Ah, I got you. Uh, okay. So, well, no one, no one messaged back. So, um, interesting. Miami Hicks says the. Uh, meanwhile, the Uber driver upgraded <laughs> from Toyota to a Cadillac. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was a good. Love one. it. All right. Well, so all is well now. Ooh, yes. You have your wallet. It's exhausting. It was a yeah. learning experience, I shall say. Yeah. Uh, for things that you can actually manage to do, if you find yourself in a little bit of a. A bind and thank um, goodness for Apple, after mismanaging right? Your, or, mismanaging your stuff, yeah, and personal belongings. Thank goodness for smartphones, yeah. Thank goodness for thank goodness for smartphones. Um, because otherwise, I would not have made it to work that day. 
would have had some Excellent. explaining to do. And I know that TSA is watching and listening. Uh, thank you. They probably are. Thank you. I appreciate your assistance. And I appreciate <laughs> you having a process to allow idiots like me to, you know, do the things they're supposed to do in life. Sweet. Oh, great. This allow is a great show title. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wallet great. Reroute. Another <laughs> show title. <laughs> Candidate wallet reroute. Yes. So many little like meanings are there. All right. Any, so that's that's it. That's all. That's the only thing that's happened with you. I'm sure there were other things. Yeah. Um, but nothing as monumental. Nothing as exciting as that. as that. And I took up a lot of time talking about that too. So. Huh. That's right. It was fun listening. I mean, someone will, someone will hear this and they'll find themselves in a similar situation. Instead of panicking, they'll just, you know. That, that's be, the key to all of this. Like, don't yeah. panic. Just, you know. Steph wants to be an inspiration. Up, be honest. Really yeah. Answer questions. Be polite. Everything, don't freak out. Everything always works everything out. Everything works out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Especially the stool sample. Okay. <laughs> um, it comes out. So, <laughs> now we have Captain Nick. He's in the big screen on the thing. That means it's time for us to hear about what you have been up to, sir. Have you been? Uh, well, I'm going to keep this uh, short okay. and sweet. Since, uh, uh, obviously, uh, I'm not doing anything nearly as exciting as, as that stuff. Uh, so uh, it's a bit busy time, really, because uh, all the competition, bowling competitions that I've uh, been entering, uh, you know, they're all you know, occurring uh, almost every day of the week. So I'll quickly run through it. Got knocked out of the unbadged singles, the county unbadged singles, uh, on a very difficult green at Godalming. Uh, did it run a marker's course for the uh, club so that the, we got more people who can mark competitions. Um, then we were supposed to do a show. That didn't happen. But I uh, bowled the uh, national uh, over 55s, the senior singles. Got through that. Uh, had a really good uh County match uh, in uh, the pairs competition. So myself and a colleague, uh, bowling colleague Andy Jones, who lovely bowler, and he bowled very well. And we uh, waxed our opponents in that. Uh, today was uh, a county competition, uh, open singles, and uh, one over at uh, where it at for club it was Wanish. I was at. Um, so. That's all going on, and quite honestly, the next few weeks will just be, if I keep winning, it'll just be round after round after round, uh, progressing uh, until you end up, uh, it's a knockout competition, so you've got to keep winning to be in it. Um, win it. To be in all it. that is wonderful fun. Yeah, in it to win it. Um, but uh, nothing much else is happening, uh, really, quite honestly. So we came back from our Cornish holiday, which we loved, and... Um, uh, you know, now life is just ticking over, and the weather here is beautiful. So, been thoroughly enjoying it, whizzing around in my little red car, uh, playing lots of bowls, uh, and doing lots of plane tests. Um, one of which you're here tonight. So, great, excellent, enjoying it. All right, I sit, drinking beer, having fun. Sweet, excellent. All right, let me uh, get this back to our normal. There we go. Um. Oh, Nick's going to insist that we do the distribution of uh, video thumbnails in a certain way. That's good right there. I like it. Okay. 
Or that, too. I knew he couldn't stand it unless I was up no, and... No, he couldn't leave it alone. <laughs> no, no, I don't hear you. I, I fixed it for him. He was going to do it Oh, anyway. you did it. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> We're talking about uh, repositioning our little video uh, rectangles or, or well, personal videos. We're going videos. the coffee fund, so they're going to disappear anyway. Oh, that's true. Uh, it's time for the coffee fund, so they're all going to be gone anyway. Liz notes. Yep. So, Bye. Uh, let's see where yeah where are you there the coffee fund there you are. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. Now, I don't think Liz realizes that because of the latency, she's like a couple, two, three beats behind <laughs> the coffee punt song. But I always fix it in post. I line it all up and everything. Anyway, uh, not to worry. So, the coffee fund. It's your way to support the show financially. A couple different ways to do it. One is via the coffee fund classic method. And since our last show, let's see, Randolph Ackerman, Randy Ackerman, Michael Moore, Mazuz Karim, and Randy Ward used the Coffee Fund. Oh, Mazuz was in the chat room. I don't know if he's still here or not. If you are, thank you, sir. And thank you to all of you who have uh, contributed to the Coffee Fund. The other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And we have a couple new producers. Yay! Uh, we have Ray Mahone, or Mahon, and Dustin Thames. New producers at Patreon. Thank you, guys. And if you're interested in learning how you can become a member of our coffee fund, Cadre, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. Captain. Incoming message. Let's start with this from Ethan. He said, hi, Captain Jeff, Liz, and crew. Two weeks ago, I flew from Minneapolis to Raleigh-Durham on Acme Airlines to attend my commencement at Liberty University. Yay. Congratulations. Lib yeah, congratulations, Ethan. Liberty's campus is located about a two-hours drive north of Raleigh. I graduated magna cum laude from the School of Aeronautics. Wow, with a B.A., Congratulations. From Liberty's Part 141 Professional Pilot Program. Yeah, I should play some applause. Thank you. Uh, boom. Okay. Yeah, and noisemakers. So, magna cum laude, is that a kind of champagne? I think it is. Yes, it's a good mm -hmm. one. Okay. It's from Big champagne. Of champagne. It's, it's not a fake yeah. champagne, it's a real champagne. From Good. France. From Captain Craig is a Liberty University. Alumnus. Yes, Captain Craig is an alum from a Liberty University. All right. Um, so uh, Ethan says, continues. Um, let's see. Liberty offers the program online. I was able to get my flying experience at a local flight school in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Liberty is a great school, and I would highly recommend it to anyone listening. Upon completion of my stay, we boarded another Acme Airbus A319 for the return trip to Minneapolis. While boarding, I noticed the lights on the Airbus flickered a little bit and then died. 
followed by the shutdown of the air conditioning system. A couple of minutes later, the pilot came on the PA and apologized for the power outage and promised to get on it right away. Moments later, the lights and air, uh, air conditioning came back on. A couple minutes later, this incident happened again. This time, we got more information from the pilot. Something like, the ground power cable would not stay attached to the airplane. And I'm going to need to start one of the engines at the gate before we can push back and take off. I thought that sounded weird. Why not start the APU? Hmm, we have an answer. After that, we started an engine, pushed back, and took off like normal. My question is, are there any policies that would prevent using the APU at the gate? Mm, not really, no. Uh, or is this another case of a faulty APU? You got it. That is the answer. Um, the And I would have probably mentioned that if, it, if I had done the, uh, the PA. I would have said that because our auxiliary power unit, the thing that we use uh, to stay self-contained and provides electrical power and uh, pneumatic uh, air power to start the engines. Well, unfortunately, it's not working on this airplane today, so we are relying upon um, sources of electricity and conditioned air and air start units from the ground, um, you know, the ground folks. And so yeah, what it sounded like is that this uh, power cable just wasn't snugly fitting in the power external power receptacle and i think on the airbus if i'm not mistaken it it's like something it's like a vertical thing right i don't know in the 33340 was that the way it was uh, nick where you opened yeah, up a door it, and it was it's like a uh, just behind the nose wheel uh, there's a uh, you just push it in uh, in a hatch there but there is actually a chain you can lock it in position uh, if you've if you've got that attached but I suspect they didn't have that. I think that. that every airplane that I've flown, except the L-1011, um, they were on the on the side so that there's a little bit of, um, you know, the grav gravitational pull of the of the um, external power cord, which is a big, giant, thick um, uh, gauge electrical cable, um, so that you, you put it in there and there's a little bit of gravitational, you know, like it kind of stays wedged in there better, I think, than if you had a, a one that was vertical. But as Nick mentioned, obviously somebody has thought of a way to keep that from falling out of the socket, but apparently maybe they didn't have one of those chains or something on this particular, uh, Airbus and it kept oh, falling it might out. have been that the, the uh, grandpa, you know, just kept falling over. Oh and, yeah. You know? Or it could be that maybe the le just the electrical system at that gate or the external power unit uh, just was not up to snuff, and it just kept, yep. um, you know, causing Kicking a off. power fault or whatever. It's happens. not Tulsa. We could get Larry to fix it. Yeah, uh, Liz says too bad it's not Tulsa because Larry could have gone out there and fixed the thing, or at least <laughs> at least he could he would have consulted yeah. with someone mm -hmm. and, and told them how to fix it. Alerted the proper. <laughs> Uh, yeah. person authorities persons right so anywho so that's the reason why yeah it, it just seems obvious doesn't it ethan like well just start the apu and then you don't have to worry and that's what usually happens if you have that kind of an issue with your external power or external air or both uh that's what we do we go okay um because we're not sure if this is going to happen again let's you know start the i mean and immediately almost all of us would say let's start the apu i know it's going to burn extra fuel but I don't want this to happen again. Because a lot of times what happens when the power completely drops off, uh, the all the time that you spent loading up your flight plan in the in the box 
uh, in the flight management system interface, a lot of times that dumps and it, you have to start from scratch and do everything over again. Um, Ooh, it's a good thing Rick yeah, isn't so, here. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Liz says it's a good thing Li uh, Rick is not here because uh, no, we would have No, look at this comment here. Oh, uh, maybe it was ground power unit made by Boeing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, wait yeah, a minute. Could be Gustav. Gustav. Yeah, could very well be. I'm disappointed in you. Boeing probably deliberately make their plugs a little small for the Airbus so they keep falling out. <laughs> Sabotage. Yep. Anyway, so and take yeah. the chains off. So we would we would have immediately, and and that's what would have happened here. Uh, they would have started the APU uh, just like you think. They're thinking, why not start the APU? I mean, what's 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 wrong with you people? Well, yeah, the the APU must have been uh, unserviceable, out of out of service. Yeah. That's what I'm guessing. Sorry about that. Yeah. Normal service will be resumed shortly. Yep. And he says, uh, oh, or is this another case of a faulty APU? Who is setting me up here for something? And I just noticed that. So let me, uh, okay. Is this another case of a faulty APU or what happened? It's covering up my, or was Delta trying to save some money? By going green. Going green. <laughs> We're going green. Yes. That, that's what it was. What well, was that about faulty connections? Yeah. No. Yep. I had the window up and I was hitting my little shortcut key, but it, the window was not in focus, if you, or whatever, they, whatever that term is. Live. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't selected. <sighs> oh, well. So oh, Ethan dear. ends by saying, Talons, Douglas, Blue Skies, Tailwinds, and whatnot. <laughs> like that. And whatnot. Yeah. Go ahead, Nick. No, nothing. I was oh. just going to say, isn't it great? All these lovely bits of kit, nothing works. Yeah. Especially when it's hot and humid. Hot. Damn hot. Yeah. That's just like, that's when you get the jet that has the APU on MEL and... You have to yep. rely on these external sources, and uh, and it's usually when we go down to Florida or something. <laughs> it's like, really, why are we sending an airplane down? It's never to Florida? in like, <laughs> never in like Minnesota yeah, or somewhere where you know, it's cooler. Yeah, no, Maine, New Hampshire, no, mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. This next story is for Steph, and it's very sad. Oh, here's some sad story. Here's a sad so story, sad. and Steph is really it's going to sad. start crying. I think I've already uh, cried about it. It's okay. You? Well, yeah. well, no, Matt uh, in Chapel what? Hill, Matt McDonald, who I think is still is, are, is Matt uh, yeah, still he with us. The, he was uh, mm, commenting that he, he is retired. Yeah, uh, he says uh, we forwarded an article. Um, he said, uh, "Hi, APG team from Matt in Chapel Hill. Sad news from North Carolina. Doctor Steph will know and lament this unfortunate occurrence." This is from the NewsObserver.com. Uh, popular North Carolina barbecue spot destroyed in fire. And here's how you can help them out. And then if you want to read how you can help them out, it's in this article. But the pick and pig in Carthage, oh. North Carolina, was heavily damaged on May 30th in an early morning fire. Was this the place that is like at the airport? Yeah. So this is at um, BQ1. It's just to the um, east of Charlotte. Not very far at all from, from me flying wise anyway. Um, I've been in there. I sent a, a picture to the group uh, chat, Jeff, um, from from me. I was there actually oh, uh, May last year was the last time I was there. And we were talking about going last week. Um, 
actually, <laughs> we were thinking, because we knew we had to go pick up that plane out of annual. Like, oh, we'll pick up the plane one of those days and we'll stop in on the way back and get some barbecue. And then I got a text early on uh, Sunday morning um, and someone said, um, just got word that the uh, picking pig was heavily damaged in a fire this morning. I said, what? No, that's so sad. Um, really cool place right on the airport. Um, uh, very popular, very busy all the time, especially this time of year. Not only folks flying in, um, lots of interesting GA aircraft there always, um, but the local community shows up too. Lots of bikers come in there and just folks from, from around. Um, barbecue is definitely worth it. It's so good. Um, so this is, this is really quite sad and um, sad for the owners, obviously. And we're all kind of hoping that they can... Um, you know, pick up the pieces from this and rebuild and get back open at some point. Um, it was a really nice destination for just that, you know, not really a hundred dollar hamburger, but your hundred dollar plate of barbecue. Mm. So. Well, it sounds like people appreciate it because their um, GoFundMe has raised more than $10,000 so far. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a Sunday afternoon. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. 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 A lot yeah more I mean, it's, it's been there for quite a long time. And, and yeah. like I said, it's very, it's a, really a beloved place. Um, you know, it's not just you go and fly in and have your plate of barbecue and leave. People go and hang out and chat for a while and enjoy each other's company. And apparently so. it's a big part of the local community as well, not just mm -hmm. to the pilots yeah. that fly into BQ1. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's, uh, you know, kind of hinting at all the, there's a lot of, there's always a lot of um, biker groups that show up on the weekends. Um, you know, lots of people coming with their families um, people bringing their kids to watch the airplanes. So, um, Jeff, yeah. as of right now, they've raised well, they get back on their feet. On their trotters. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, an update. Uh, Liz has said uh, now up-to-date uh, uh, figure, uh, 44500 have uh, wow. has been yeah. raised. Yeah. Jeez, That's they'll be able to build a, kind of, double, uh, a two-story pick and pick. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, fancy. I'd be happy if they just restored it. Kind of the charm of it was it was, you know, no frills. Yeah. Um, right. But, how come you yeah. never took me there? Well, I haven't uh, been there many, either. How many times have you? Well, yeah, that's really more the <laughs> answer I don't have. But how many times have you visited here, Nick? Yeah. Okay. I'm not it, it was crazy because we were, we were, me and a uh, couple of our friends were just talking about going this week or this past week. Uh, and then this happened. Well, hopefully they'll be up and running again very soon. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully we'll. So. I'm sure we'll be talking about it on a future episode when they're back in business and when yeah. Steph picks me up and flies me over there and we have barbecue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. No, we'll definitely do that. That's a future plan for Pick and Pig BQ1. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Matt. Well, you it, know, it has to reopen because opposing bases never got a chance to have their oh, yeah. um, fly-in, their, their meetup so because of the pandemic last year. Where, where mm -hmm. is that in relation to Charlotte? And It is and, east. Uh, east. How many miles? Let me see. So it's like south of uh, Triad and east of Charlotte, somewhere in that area? Correct. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll have an APG meetup over there sometime. That would be fun. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. And then we'll fly It's 75 Nick nautical over. miles, almost directly east of Charlotte. Okay. That's not bad. I'll just drive my RV over there. Oh, hey. And maybe by the time I get my RV, they'll have that thing rebuilt. Rebuilt. Yeah. Okay. Hope so. Moving on, uh, Rob, let's see, was it Rob? Who, which Rob is this? Note info, Rob Legal, or legal, I like to call him. 
Uh, Rob here again. Uh, here's a feel-good news story. Uh, Southwest re- redeeming themselves after the Longwood incident. <laughs> Aviation and military, uh, and from the words of the family, when John, a Southwest gate agent, noticed a customer carrying a folded flag as she boarded a flight to Colorado Springs, he asked her about it. And here's what happened next, uh, as told by Chloe, the customer. I was on my way home from my brother Jay's funeral with Nick. Nick, you didn't tell us that anything about this. Huh. I uh, received a folded flag with the rest of my family while we were there. I couldn't fit it into my carry-on, so I decided to hand carry it home. When we were standing at our gate in Denver, a gate agent asked me why I was holding such an important thing, and I explained to him why. He immediately gave me a hug and said, thank you so much for his service. You'll be getting pre-boarded tonight. He talked to the captain, first officer, and the rest of the Southwest crew, and not only reserved us two seats in the front row, but offered to fly that flag in the cockpit for him. I was in tears. The crew didn't have to do that, but they did it out of the kindness of their hearts. I can't thank, uh, thank the gate agent John, Captain Michael Hinkleman, first officer Nathan Rons, and the rest of the crew enough for their love and support. Thank you so much for dedicating that flight to Jay. Flying was his whole world, and I know that must have made him so happy. I'm beyond proud and honored. And then a, a heart emoji. Uh, Captain Lamb, we can never thank you and your family enough for your service. And that was uh, from Southwest Airlines, thanking the captain and the crew. And there are some pictures in here. Um, well, you know, I probably should have. Uh... There is the uh, cockpit with uh, Captain Lamb and First Officer Rondis. I think Captain Lamb is the, the gentleman that was deceased. I think it's Captain oh. Hinkleman was the... Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Liz. I'm, I'm confusing captains here. Captain Lamb was the one who had passed away. Okay, you're right, Liz. Captain Michael Hinkleman is the actual captain operating this the flight. Okay. Um, so there is a picture of um, Captain Hinkleman and crew and the, uh, and the flag on the um, instrument panel, the dashboard, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And there we go. There's yeah. the, um, the, uh, the folded up uh, flag on the, uh, that's very touching on the that's, yeah, um, control. That's brilliant. Console. No, that was well done, guys. Yeah, that was yep. uh, very nice. Very thoughtful of you. Yep. Proud of you. And thank you for sharing that with us, uh, Rob. Absolutely. All right. Uh, those little touches mean so much to people when they're vulnerable and feeling sad. So mm-hmm. good yeah. job. Good job. Really made it. Uh, it was a very important thing. Uh, we have some audio feedback from Matt. And Matt Todd, and he says, uh, "You, hi, APG crew, you've talked about in-flight medical emergencies a number of times, so I thought this audio recording might be interesting to you all. I caught this HF communication between a Spirit Airlines flight and New York earlier this month. After a person aboard had a seizure, the flight crew contacted New York by HF radio. New York established a phone patch between a doctor on the ground and the aircraft to provide guidance. The aircraft was over North Carolina at the time while flying between Fort Lauderdale and Pittsburgh. I'm going to play a little bit of it, but the key here is that 
it was on high frequency radio, HF radio, and you'll see why I'm not going to play a heck of a lot of it because it's a lot. It's pretty noisy. Okay, copy your phone pass with Medlink and dispatch. Standby. Medlink 558, Medlink is on now, and your dispatch will be on shortly. Okay, that's all I can stand to play. <laughs> Thank you, um, Matt, for, for recording that. But I'm just trying to figure out why they're using HF radio, because we use VHF uh, Airink. I think it's the same company, um, Aeronautical Radio Incorporated, I think is what A-R-I-N-C stands for. I'm not sure, though. Um, but we actually use the VHF frequency to uh, get a phone pa or call via that radio, which is a lot easier on the ears than HF radio. To uh, Man, I don't know the one time I had I was on the phone with them uh -huh. um, during an in-flight uh, medical event. It was it sounded just like that. It was not really? easy to hear. Well, yeah. I mean, even on VHF terrible. radio, when you have a phone patch, yeah. sometimes I'm not sure it's what like it was, sketchy. Yeah. The phone patch was just really but hard to hear. HF radio, and Nick can you know, agree, I'm sure, HF radio is just like the worst <laughs> way to communicate ever. Uh, oh, it's absolutely. Horrible. It picks up so much uh, atmospheric distortion, uh, noise from outer space. You get all sorts of stuff on those very long waves. So um, it, it's just a huge amount of background. You can't squelch it out like you do on VHF. Uh, on VHF, squelch is a form of, uh, it's like a cutoff that allows a strong signal, your voice, uh, to... Um, get above the barrier and the below the barrier is all the extraneous noise so basically you, the radio is dead quiet until someone talks it's like a noise gate um yeah that exactly right uh but hf it doesn't have that because uh you know and you've got to fight you know, to get your voice heard over all the other atmospheric uh and other noises that uh, hf picks up including taxes and uh pages <laughs> every damned broadcasters happening anywhere in the world. And because it's such a long range, HF, you pick up stuff from hundreds, if not thousands of miles away as well. Yeah. So I'm sure that uh, I'm guessing the reason why spirit uses HF um, to do this kind of thing is probably less expensive than using all the VHF radio capability mm -hmm. that a lot of them, yeah. um, like the legacy carrier, I'm sure that America. So I've, I've had, I've had these foam patches as well. Um, Steph, and you're right. Mm -hmm. It's really hard once they actually. So you're calling via Atlanta radio, and then you're talking with your dispatcher, and that so that's degraded a little. The the operator of uh, Atlanta radio loud and clear. Then when you talk to the, to the dispatcher, it's not so loud and clear. It's it's still understandable. And then when the dispatcher connects to the company that you've contracted with for. Mm -hmm. uh, emergency services then it's even another step down in quality and um i didn't uh, it's like even a copy of a copy of a copy yeah or just exactly it's all like blurred and distorted at the end right and so you're with hf you're just starting off right off the bat bad and then i'm sure it got worse yeah. um I, I don't even think i got to the part where the doctor was actually on on the uh, on the horn. In, in my early days with the company, the only way to speak to operations was to do a phone patch through one of three or four major HF stations uh, in the world, 
and then they, they would just dial up your company on the telephone and i don't know if they literally held <laughs> handset to handset probably did. or whether they had an electronic way uh, <laughs> of uh, connecting the radio to the telephone but uh, it was such a basic system that and it was so hard to hear people uh, and everyone had to remember to say over uh, because uh, the operator had to remember to switch transmit to receive and vice versa so that you could hear what the other bloke was saying and the guys on operations on the ground were very uh, usually uh, unused to this so uh, trying to get it you only used it in dire situations really quite honestly you generally just make your own decision get on with it but uh, when you need medical assistance of course you know, anything that uh, you can do to uh, improve the situation for your uh, patient is ideal. When I first saw that this was an HF radio thing and I started listening to it, I'm thinking, well, they must have been, this is before I read what Matt wrote, they must have been out over the, like, like over the, the water or Caribbean or, or over, you know. Yeah, you know. I was assuming they were doing a bit of a cut across an ocean. Yeah, but no, they were over North Carolina. Oh, that that explains, that explains it. it. Our over, technology is a over, little uh, behind the times here. Still okay, working right. with the HF. They were over. Uh, <laughs> is Mr. Marconi still alive in Kagalaki? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yes. Oh, right. Yeah, okay, that, that counts for it. Retired, but only yeah. well. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> it's interesting stuff. I'll um, let's see. How can I do that? I'll, I'll put a link to this uh, feedback in the show notes and uh, and the audio file will be there as well so you can listen to the entire call if you'd like i just couldn't do it by the (laughs) way if if you're on a decent airline they will use a satellite phone Mm -hmm. patch so they'll link directly through satellites on the telephone Mm -hmm. to their medical provider which is just crystal clear and instant so pick your airline if you're not feeling well well you know I think I fly for a pretty good airline, uh, but my airplane doesn't have that capability because we don't fly over over water, big ponds of water, uh, as your airline did. But I, I know that all of our airplanes that do do the uh, transcontinental and, and uh, across oceans type of flying, they all have the satellite stuff. So I've not had the, had the opportunity to, uh, to hear how crystal clear all that communication is. But I've heard it's nice. I can tell you it, it, it's expensive because if you spend too long on it, you start getting bills. So, you know, I'm only joking. <laughs> but uh, no, your paycheck uh, goes you, you know, gets lower. Yeah, it's sort of like <laughs> you get you get uh, the the, the financiers start rolling their eyes at the cost of yeah sat phones. Well, you know, before you, have five you know minutes it, minutes left. Okay, thanks, Liz. Um, before you know it, uh, Elon Musk's uh, Starlink low Earth satellite array will probably be providing relatively inexpensive. So I, I just saw something the other day that, uh, that he was like um, pitching this t- to the airlines. I'm thinking, Oh, that's interesting. I, hmm. uh, I didn't know that that system would be capable to, you know, connect with airplanes traveling that quickly. Cause those, those uh, satellites in low earth orbit are moving at a pretty quick pace as well. Must be pretty sophisticated yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, and they're probably falling on your head if you're not careful. Yeah, well, I'm, that's that'll be after long after we're uh, dead, Nick. So we're not going to. I'm not in a low earth earth no. orbit. They weren't. Oh, really? They'd be crashing down onto your little airplane. That's really low, low Earth or orbit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, 
We'll just quickly hit this one, and then after that, it'll be about time for our plain tale, this week's plain tale. Uh, number seven, this is from Thomas, and he said, if I didn't see it, I wouldn't believe it. And it's a YouTube video, and um, let me play a little bit of it. Okay, now, what we're looking at is a video from YouTube uh, and from... Raw Leaks YouTube channel. Hmm. I've never had a raw leak. I've had leak soup. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, that got something it, to do with the stool sample? It, looks, it has nothing to do with the stool sample, Liz. Um, so we're looking at the back end <laughs> of an airplane. Uh, cargo the back airplane. Passage. The back passage. Uh, fully open. <laughs> yeah. And uh, about to eject... Some, uh, is that a, a, a two-aisle aeroplane or a single-aisle aeroplane? Uh, wide aisle. Oh, watch it. No, don't oh, okay. do that. You, is everything falling out of the back? Oh, no. Somebody forgot to keep the like keep those things door tied down. Closed. They just went out the door in the back. And the real reason why we're watching this YouTube video is not because of those little things falling out of the uh, back of the airplane. Oh, jeez. There's a, an airplane. Uh, hang on, mate. There's one more what? coming. Yeah. There's an airplane back there. What, what model is that? Uh, can you tell, uh, Nick? Is that like a... What, uh, it's a it's a Russian I fighter. Know. Is I don't that know. a flanker? A flanker, maybe? I don't know. I don't know my Russian. Flanker, fulcrum, one of those. Okay. I, not, uh, I wasn't prepared to answer this question. Uh, I'm sorry. It kind of looks he likes sort of to like do a Russian F-15. <laughs> it's the best way I can describe it. And it's like right, I mean, very, very close to the uh, back of this airplane and uh, the open doors. And then it hangs there for a little while, and then... SU-27, it... I hold boxes, so... Oh, okay. SU-27, that's what I thought. <laughs> I <have no> idea. <laughs> and then it goes, okay, bye, see ya. Oh, no, that's uh... the interesting bit. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, it kind of does but, a, uh, a little... It crashes them. <laughs> yeah, well, we never saw that jet again. Uh, and then they close the doors, and they're all giving the old thumbs up. Anyway, that was from, again, Raw Leaks. Very healthy. Um, and <laughs> extra fiber. Yeah, you extra just need fiber. the word sewage in between those two. There's a lot of Raw tidal, like, sewage. back passages and things. <laughs> Lots of good material for titles. Okay, as you know, okay, this is uh, Thomas. As you know, the interactions between aircraft flying over under have proven to be disastrously intense this is a holy fill-in expletive moment dudes giving thumbs up surely haven't a clue oh yeah they do they have a clue they probably that's not the first time that they've seen that and i thought it was pretty cool actually <laughs> myself i was more concerned with them the guy there the su 27 or 30 or whatever it actually is and they're doing their drop with him oh i know Right well, they knew to be out of the way, behind. I think. <laughs> I guess. I mean, but still seems kind of close. What are, yeah, right. it was. That, that was the part that was more concerning to me. In that one shot, looking through the, you know, in the airplane, out the rear doors open, you could actually see the pack, see the, the stuff that the they had. Yeah, with the parachutes and Whatever and it was else. that they got rid of. And then all of a sudden you could the see the very there. tip of the, uh, the twin tail, like coming into view and going, what's that? And then all of a sudden, boom, an airplane. Right there. Anyway, I thought it was pretty cool. He says, save when, 
Save this for when Nick is back on the show. Oh, this is what uh, Liz was telling me, that I'm not supposed to read out loud. <laughs> well, that's okay. I've done a few things like that. We we used to regularly formate on Hercs. We had Hercules tankers, and um, they'd often drop the back uh, door, and uh, you'd be amazed how close, because actually the air behind the aircraft, once you get inside the relatively stable air from the fuselage is, is allows you to go very close without feeling any uh, fear. Um, um, so, you know, you almost felt like you could poke your radome inside the, inside the cargo hold. But uh, no, that's, that's brilliant. That really it's like, a, really it's like the eye of a hurricane, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, kind of. You end up <laughs> in relatively still air. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Cool. Except for there's no hurricane involved in this. Yeah, and so long as the Herc pilot didn't bunt or do anything silly, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Very Just cool. a little bit of trust. Yes. Mm. A lot of trust in aviation, for sure. Okay. Well, it is now time for this week's installment of the Old Pilot's Plane Tales, and this week's titled RAF Form 414, Volume 11. Here we go. I always enjoy these. Old Pilot's Plane Tales, RAF Form 414, Volume 11. A career in the Royal Air Force involves a lot of training. In the closing months of 1981, I'd completed my Central Flying School course to become a qualified flying instructor, and since joining the Air Force in late 1974, out of the seven years I had served, barely two and a half had been on a squadron doing a job of work. The rest had been in the system, working towards firstly becoming an operational fighter pilot and now a flying instructor. My path to completing this latest qualification ended with the following words in Section 6 of my Form 414. B2 QFI Category Awarded Remarks British Aerospace Hawk Trophy for Best Student QFI on the Hawk I wish I could say it was an honour, but in reality all it meant was that I had kept my nose a trifle cleaner than the other reprobates on the course. The funniest thing was watching Troublemaker and Hawkbender-in-Chief Dave being awarded the trophy for Best Ground School Student. Oh, how we laughed. A B2 QFI is the lowest of the low and at that level one is automatically graded as an average pilot in the role of instructor. From here, the only way was up. The first thing we received was a posting from Central Flying School to Number 4 Flying Training School, and whichever squadron there who needed a smart aleck, brand new, know-nothing instructor. Nige and I were both sent to number one squadron, which basically meant moving from one building to another a few hundred metres away. Numbers one and two squadrons shared a two-storey block on one side of the airfield, whilst the third unit, imaginatively named number three squadron, was across the other side of the runways, near the beach. They probably had the best time of it, out of sight, out of mind 
we had the convenience of being closer to the facilities on the base, stores, hairdressers, station headquarters, usually referred to as handbrake house, the simulators, etc., and we were always first in the bar. Number one squadron had the run of downstairs and number two upstairs. It was all well laid out and modern, with briefing rooms, changing rooms, showers, offices, the instructor's crew room and the student's equivalent. Just outside was an aircrew feeder, a canteen, which offered very inexpensive meals designed to give us all the bodies of a trash hauler. Rotund but happy. It was 1981, and salads hadn't been invented yet. There was no such thing as working 24-7. This was training command, which ran from morning prayers, the assembly of all pilots to get a blessing from the chief flying instructor, an emergency of the day Q&A, NOTAMs and met brief at 8am, to the officers' mess bar at 5pm. Weekends were sacrosanct. My logbook shows a couple of trips with another instructor to sweep away the cobwebs, and then a squadron commander's check ride with the diminutive and ever-smiling Chris Taylor, who ran our bit of the flying training machine. At the time, I had 1,240 hours, but I had long ago learned that one was never finished with check rides. The student who was first to receive my wisdom was Chris Chatterway, who was on the senior course. We ran two courses at a time, so that when one was starting, the other was about halfway through. I've little memory of it, other than it was a close formation trip, and I felt a bit like I was being thrown in at the deep end. I always enjoyed flying with my students, but in close formation there was never a moment when we could relax. Even smashing round the valleys at low level doing 500 miles an hour, I always felt that I had time to take control and ease us out of a problem. Not so in close formation. In close formation our cockpit was a few feet, a couple of metres from the next aircraft's wingtip, a distance that could be covered in less than the blink of an eye. Not exactly Red Arrow's stuff, but close enough to keep visual in dense cloud. We had to take care in the echelon position, not to get too close, especially at high angles of attack, as the leading aircraft's wingtip vortices could overcome the formating aircraft's aileron power. This could be a particular problem on formation takeoffs. Regardless, Chris in the front was doing well, and I'm sure all I was doing was a little coaching. Relax on the controls, gently with the throttle, and that sort of thing. When pilots came to Valley to do their advanced jet training, they were already well versed in most aspects of basic military flying stuff, like low-level navigation, aerobatics, formation flying, tail chasing. That's follow my leader during hard three-dimensional manoeuvring, and the principles of lead and lag, etc. In the Hawk, we just took that to the next level, so that they could progress onto weapons training, safe in the knowledge that their handling skills were well honed, so they wouldn't have to think about flying the aircraft and could concentrate on using it as a weapon of war. Their initial flights were all about gaining familiarity with the Hawk, 
and what it felt like to be in what was effectively a single-seat cockpit. When we had bashed the circuit enough and explored handling the Hawk in various aspects like stalls of every imaginable kind, we sent them solo, and from their point of view, the only real difference was a lack of quacking from the back seat. From there it was a matter of building confidence and taking the Hawk to its limits. Max rate turns were a favourite manoeuvre to establish flying skills at high G. The idea was to accelerate to the best cornering speed, the speed when maximum G could be achieved at maximum coefficient of lift. These events were always preceded by a mass briefing given to the entire course and then a pre-flight briefing to brush up on the salient points, so that when it came to fly the manoeuvre, everyone knew what was required. Since the Hawk T1 didn't have an angle of attack indicator to gauge max CL, the student had to learn to feel the level of buffeting that occurred when the wing was producing all that it could give, but not yet in a G-stall, basically light buffet, not heavy buffet, and match that with 6G. I don't think we went to the aircraft limits just to have a margin of error available. Like most aircraft, the Hawk couldn't maintain a maximum rate turn without losing energy, so we started the manoeuvre at around ten or 15,000 feet and descended in a tight spiral converting our potential energy into speed to stop the aircraft from decelerating. Max rate turns also built up everyone's G-tolerance. Unlike nowadays, pilots in the RAF weren't regularly subjected to something as painful as a centrifuge. The basic anti-G straining manoeuvres, enhanced by the wearing of a G-suit, were taught to the students at the Institute of Aviation Medicine, and it was up to the individual pilots to develop their techniques to maintain these high-G sustained events. To be fair, back in the 80s, most of the RAS frontline aircraft had relatively low max-G limits, whereas nowadays pilots need to cope with 8 or 9Gs without flaking out. Still, with the early generation G-suits, a 6G spiral was physically demanding, and after a bunch of those, we all came back dripping with sweat. A max rate turn was entered at about 420 knots, with an overbank to around 120 degrees of bank, and a steady pull to simultaneously get into the light buffet and hit 6G. If the G and speed started to lessen or the buffet increased because of a greater control input, more bank would be required to sacrifice altitude and regain the parameters, and vice versa. The big danger for muggins in the back seat was if blogs in the front let the speed increase, there was a danger that they might overstress the aircraft. Aerobatics were also required learning. More refined than the brutal max rate turning, a well-flown sequence of arrows demonstrated a pilot's ability and accuracy in all planes of manoeuvre. The Hawk was a delightful aerobatic aircraft, able to keep a display in a tight area, and it could be flown with great precision. I seem to recall that it had a 30-second inverted limit, 
so that the fuel-negative G-compartment wouldn't empty and flame the engine out, which was a blessing when a prolonged inverted trick was introduced by the more adventurous students. Flick manoeuvres were prohibited in the Hawk, and I don't think we allowed stall turns, since such low-speed events might surge the engine. In fact, if the speed came below 100 knots in a vertical manoeuvre, the low-speed recovery drill was required. Throttle gently to idle. Flying controls, including the rudder, held central. Roll wings level when airspeed is in excess of 100 knots. Recover to level flight above 150 knots with the throttle at idle. When recovery is complete and the aircraft is not in buffet, open the throttle to check the engine is surge free. But just about everything else was fair game. It's true to say that the vast majority of my phantom flying had been at fairly low G. Only in combat did we get to the higher levels, but as an instructor we were regularly subjected to high G manoeuvres, and most of us noticed that our shirt collar sizes increased as our neck muscles grew to stop our heads falling off. Life at Valley soon settled into a pleasant enough routine of a regular work schedule, lots of time at home and a good social life, none of which compensated for being away from the front line. Once more, to amortise the cost of our training, we were going to suffer a four-year tour of duty. After the initial novelty of flying and teaching wore off, we realised that we were in a sausage machine. Didn't matter how well we did, once a course of our fine students graduated and were presented with their pilot's wings, another bunch of eager faces would appear in a briefing room to start their journey through advanced flying training. We did our best to spice things up and took every opportunity to create some variety. We might string a couple of tactical formation training trips together, which would allow us to land away at another base for lunch. This would usually be an operational station, so that blogs could see some real fighters or bombers, and get a taste of what was ahead of them if they worked hard enough. The variety of flying we got also gave us a break from the routine. A day's work might involve an instrument flying trip, a low-level navigation sortie, and a high-level spin and general handling flight. It certainly wasn't a job where one could sit back and cruise along. The mixed bag of lessons we had to be prepared to teach was large, and we often had to work harder than our students to be prepared for each flight so that we gave of our best. For example, an easy, low-level navigation trip around Wales might involve 50 minutes at 420 knots, rarely getting above 250 feet, with two or three IP-to-target runs. These were short legs of two or three minutes, flown on a highly detailed map, that took us from an easily recognisable feature to find and identify something small and insignificant. Whilst it was sometimes inevitable that the student pilot might get lost and stray off track, the instructor was always supposed to know where the aircraft was, avoid noise-sensitive areas and other no-go spots. 
For us, this meant free navigating with a thumb on the map whilst Bloggs dove around trying to find his way back to somewhere he recognised and, if need be, to give a prompt to help. An hour or two before the flight, we would often be on the phone to some civil airport that we might be passing, asking for permission to arrive unexpectedly for a practice force landing. Then, at the appropriate moment, we would announce to Bloggs that he had hit a bird and the engine had failed. As our budding fast jet pilot pulled for height and came back to gliding speed, if he had done his pre-flight work, he would know which way to turn for the nearest airport, and hopefully he would have picked the one that we had coordinated with. Getting to the overhead on the right frequency was only part of the job as we fully expected them to be able to complete a practice force landing to a touchdown, whereupon we would give them the engine back and set off to complete the sortie. I see in my logbook that there were a few interesting moments in that first year of work. Somebody snatched a 9G pull-up on me when he came around a valley to find his way blocked by low cloud and did an overly energetic emergency pull-up. We diverted to our satellite airfield of Mona one day when someone blacked the runway at Valley by running off the surface. The term comes from the RAF's airfield colour code system, which was an easy way to advise of the weather. Blue was nice, white was still nice, green probably an instrument approach required, Yellow 1 and 2 definitely required an instrument approach down to minimums, and red was foggy and horrible, go away. But black meant closed. Then, as my first year came to a halt, it was time to go up to Standard Squadron to try for an upgrade. Standards were the big wigs who instructed the instructors. They rarely dirtied their hands flying with students, unless someone was having a big problem and needed special coaching, and every once in a while we had to knock meekly on their door and present ourselves for evaluation. An interesting aspect of instruction was that we usually only demonstrated an event once or twice. From then on, our student did all the flying. This actually meant we didn't get much time flying the aircraft But when we did, our demos were supposed to be spot-on first time. After all, if we couldn't do it perfectly every time, how could we ever disapprove of our students' efforts? I see I was drilled through my paces over 14 flights, demonstrating everything from effects of controls and stalling to spins and force landings, culminating in a check flight with the chief instructor who thankfully raised my category from B2 to B1. After a year in the job, I was now halfway up the greasy pole of instructorship and had crawled my way from average to high average. Woot woot. (laughs) Woot woot. So much excitement. I know. (laughs) <laughs> I, I thought that might have been you a little. <laughs> uh, you made did. it. Woot, woot. <laughs> yeah.
I really, uh, and but, I'm not kidding. I really do uh, enjoy those uh, logbook um, plain tales and uh, brings back, uh, I mean, a, a lot of what you did kind of so, somewhat parallels uh, my experience, which is a much shorter yeah, experience. I was going to ask you that how much, how much of it sort of rang a bell with you? Yeah. A lot of it. A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. We were both instructor uh, pilots. Yeah. Yes, sitting in the back watching a reasonably competent guy, you know, just learn and progress on. It was an interesting thing at our stage of flying instruction that we went to, I I wasn't doing the basic stuff. I wasn't teaching people the initial effects of controls and sending them on their first solo. I was sort of an intermediate training school where we just basically upgraded them from, you know, the, the lowly initial jet trainers uh, to something faster and more capable uh, and got them good enough to be able to fly it without thinking too hard so they could go on to weaponeering and not kill themselves. Well, we got the students in, uh, I was in the basic training part of it where they were just ah, first introduced oh to jets. And oh, that must have been slightly more fun. <laughs> See all this gray hair that I have? That's Slash. why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah. It, uh, I, was, it, I, I did. I did um, sort of mention to uh, um, Patreons because uh, I I wasn't keen to talk about uh, individual students and their mistakes, but within the world of the Patreons, uh, you know, a small select community, I was happy to do that, and I did describe a particular event, but. Uh, for me, as an advanced jet um, trainer, they were rare in comparison, I think, with someone who takes uh, a pilot straight off the street or someone straight off the street and right. tries to turn them into a pilot. Exactly. Yeah. It's rewarding. Your, but it's... your life must have been much more exciting. <laughs> yeah. It's rewarding for sure, but it's definitely, yeah, filled with a lot of intensity um, and, you know. Not quite sure exactly yeah. how things are going to go, but isn't it true, Nick, uh, that uh, the the student, your strong student, the one that you think that you never have to worry about, they're the one that's going to get close to killing you. Uh, yeah, exactly right, and it's only because that you're on your guard with everyone else, and with him, you feel like you can relax, and that is the time you. <laughs> actually can't relax right because no one's immune from making a mistake no. even the best student in the world yeah uh, and it it's it, it really was sometimes hard to stay alert when the guy was doing such a good job but when your flying margins are so small you know you're only a few hundred feet away from a rock face uh you know uh you you have to be on your ball uh, on your game all the time as an instructor yeah it's an interesting better job. better you all than me i don't know that i'm cut out for that kind of john, john is asking was the hawk bent after 9g uh well actually the british aerospace built it to withstand 9g so although it had to undergo um an overstress check it, it, it carried on flying and it i'm sure it's still flying um uh, and uh, because uh, you know it was built to withstand that, but the air the air force wanted these trainers to last 
25, 30 years. And every time you do one of those really bad overstresses, you just eat into the fatigue life of the aircraft and shorten the life. So uh, we, we that's why we limited the aircraft uh, in normal operations to 7G. There wasn't much point in going over that. We didn't have many operational aircraft that went over 7G then. Uh, so, you know, there's no point in training uh, someone to fly an airplane up to their craft limits when he was never going to do that again. Right. Good point. All right. Again, yeah. another but enjoyable I, one. Oh, I love those uh, pictures too. Because <laughs> I love that picture of <laughs> you and Nigel. <laughs> that was great. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was, that is great. Um, and uh, Dave, you know the the guy there that was standing beside me, the little shorter chap mm -hmm. with all those prizes. Yeah, uh, Nigel, I, and Dave are going to get together in about two weeks' time for a little reunion uh, up at oh, Nigel's place and spend a weekend fun. together. That'll be wonderful. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Lots of reminiscing, and, to be sure. And, oh, yeah. And the little picture of us at the sum of all that. We didn't normally spend every night dressed up in all our best uh, clothes like that. That was the annual summer ball, which was a really, yeah, that, well done. Thanks very much. <laughs> so DL uh, is, um, as we're looking at, the third guy at the back on the right, and his lovely wife, Fee, is just below him in the black uh, with the thin dress with the thin straps. We're meeting them uh, over the this weekend. Nigel isn't in that picture, no. but my lovely wife, Jilly, is. Yes. With some uh, hairy old flying instructor um, licking her chin, her, her shoulder by the looks of it. I don't know what he's doing. But. <laughs> Okay. I do worry sometimes. Those flying instructors, <laughs> bad, bad sort. Yes. He was an ex-buccaneer uh, chap, actually. Very nice chap. And here's that. And there's That's DL. Uh, yeah. We loved the fact that he got the, because he was the <laughs> reprobate of the, the real reprobate <laughs> of the course. And he got that ground school prize, which is the most wonderful. It was a silver top hat uh, um, on top of a pile of beautifully engraved wooden uh, books, similar to, you know, uh, uh, and it was a lovely trophy. He also won the Arrows trophy, by the way, because he had a fine, he had great hands deal. He was a very fine pilot. He's he's now a uh, local councillor, I believe, so in local government. He so that's well, a bit of a worry. Function, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can see our, our old friend, Captain Nige, there, uh, yep, who's on, yeah, well to the left of the picture, who now uh, scruffs around and now. Harley Davison and is visiting me, and uh, uh, only a few days he's going to pitch up for lunch. That would oh, nice. be nice. So the guy the holding the trophy is Dave. Did you say his name was? Yeah, yeah, Dave. We all called him DL. Okay, uh, DL, DL Richardson. So Liz was asking was he, he was at your uh, retirement party? Correct. He was indeed. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay. first time I've seen him for yeah, years. It was. A and Liz great said surprise. she met him and. Uh, finally met a an RAF pilot that she actually likes. So Well, Nigel was there too. Well, I know Nigel was there and that's why I said that. <laughs> Nigel says yeah. bring the photos to your meetup. Absolutely. Actually, yeah. I put all those so words great, in her mouth. Great she memories. didn't she didn't say that. Yeah. Anyway. Great memories, but uh, uh, I I was I was just curious to know how uh, a, a story about flying training in my time as an instructor would be uh, because it's not exciting frontline stuff. It's it's a bit run of the mill, but you know, 
It's, I mean, to us, it, it's what it, life no, is. it's interesting. To us, it is. To us, it is, but to everyone else, it's not. And uh, and it served to kind of give me a lot of good. Not memories. run of the mill, anyway. Right. I should say. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Cool. I'll, it is I'll, I'll find a couple more out of that, then I'm sure. Excellent. All right. Well, we still have a little bit of time left to cover some more feedback. Good. About a half an hour. Uh, let's see. Let's go to number eight. Uh, this is from Andy. And he goes, hi, guys. This is probably a question for Captain Jeff. I was flying into Atlanta International recently, and we were already running about an hour late. So being an hour late already, Atlanta ATC put us on runway 28-10 as our landing runway, making for a very long taxi time to the gate. Why would they do this to a late flight? Does Acme Airlines fight back with something like that? Is Chicago also like this? Y'all are the best. Take care now, Andy Harris. Well, Andy, air traffic control, they don't care who you are and what flight you are and how late you are. <laughs> they uh, nope. just try to sequence everybody in, uh, you know, first come, first serve, that kind of thing. And if you're coming in on an arrival that is um, normally flowing to that sub- most southerly runway and the other runways are kind of already at capacity with other flights, then yeah, odd man out. You just, that's what you get. And you know, you can, you can try pleading with them to say, Hey, uh, we're, we're really running late. Can we please get uh, one of the, uh, you know, the closer runways like two, seven left in this case. And, you know, sometimes they'll say, yeah, we can, so- we can find a place for you. Go ahead. Stuff. I hear, hear these pleads all day long on the weekends um, when we're flying in Charlotte's airspace. It's a very common thing, especially for um, if, if they're landing north at Charlotte. All the regional jets want 3-6 right because their gates are on that side of the airfield. And if they land on 3-6 left, um, which is the more common runway to be sequenced to if they're coming through the little bit of airspace that we're also flying in, um, it's a pretty long taxi. Um, can take a long time. Um so um, it, we, <laughs> it gets a little funny um, as the day goes on, just how many different pilots will ask for a 3-6 right. Um, so we always have a little bit of a wager. It's like, are they going to give it to him? Yep. No. On request? Maybe. He's saying there's a chance. Um, but it, it, they're not doing it on purpose to make you more late than you already they, are. They it are. Has- they are. They, they're doing it on purpose, <laughs> and they have hearts of stone. Yeah. They're... Actually, yeah, yeah the they rec- they recognize your yeah. voice and they go, "Oh, that that guy's a jerk. Give him the that furthest runway." Yeah. He's always late anyway. Yeah. Just stick him over there. Yeah. When did he last send us a pizza? The, yeah. Oh yeah, good so, point. Yeah, <laughs> but it yeah. does get a little comical all day long. Yeah, you know, the right side. You, you want it nope. to, you know, you want it to work out, you know, as uh, as well as possible. I mean, even if you're not running late, it, we still like, you know, if we're coming in from the south, especially, you know, if we get. Two seven left instead of two eight. You know that. It, you know it really depends on uh, your particular timing uh, as far as how long, how much extra time it takes to get from two eight to the terminal area. Um, I mean, I I got two eight several times during this last trip, and we like it. It hardly took any extra time at all because the everything was just flowing really well across the other runways so uh but then you can it, if you're late 
then it's much more likely than you'll have more delays uh, because that's just Murphy's law. law. Just, yeah, yeah, Murphy's law. It just compounds over time. Yeah. So, yeah, but the airlines, I mean, um, in this case, uh, he was flying on Acme. Acme doesn't call up the tower and say, hey, give them the inboard because they're running late. You know, they, they, that doesn't happen. So they have no idea, really, if you're running late unless you tell them. And then it may not make a difference at all anyway. No, so hearts of stone. Hearts of stone. Yes. Right. If you want to get a, a, a feel for it, uh, just go over to opposing bases. They have a podcast and you'll see yep. these air traffic yep. controllers just don't really care. They, they just don't care. No. Uh, evil, evil beasts. Evil. They're, yeah. They care about the pick and pig, but not about. Yeah. The they do care about the pick and pig, but they don't care about <laughs> pilots. Well, unless they're, you know, they're in that way, piloting. they're similar to pilots. We all lead with our stomachs, right? So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, uh, good point. That, that is good the way point. to their heart. To but they are. Heart, really. I have to say that they're not quite as bad as some air traffic controllers because uh, our HAG um, are pilots as well as air traffic controllers. So they have a little sympathy. <laughs> did you just call them? Did you just combine yeah, their well, names? Yes, into they've one. got no excuse for being mean. Absolutely no excuse. So why do they do it? It's just easier for me, Steph. R H and A G. Uh, yes. That's R Hag. You just <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry, sorry. Let's continue with uh, this from Greg. He said, "I stumbled uh, onto your show a few weeks ago, and it has been my daily commute companion since I'm not a pilot yet." Well, I hope you didn't hurt yourself, old chap. Yeah, I hope not. Oh, I think I misread that. I stumbled onto your show a few weeks ago, and it has been my daily commute companion since. I'm not a pilot yet, but I am an avid flight sim junkie and hope to start on the path towards my PPL in the near future. I got bit by the aviation bug about 10 years ago when my brother-in-law, now a commercial ATP pilot, took me for a flight in a Dassault Falcon, and I've been hooked since. That's what uh, Colonel Jeff flies now. Well, enough rambling about me. I hope you all have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thank you, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Miami Rick, Captain Nick, and Liz. And again, this is from Greg. And uh, he says, thanks for the great content. And we say, you're welcome. We enjoyed Absolutely. it. Uh, we, we, we're actually good fans of uh, Flight Sim uh, here. Uh, or um, X-Plane. I think it's the other one, isn't it? Now, I, I'd, I'd be curious a, to know which. Yeah. Uh, there are some people out there that. Another flight simulator program? Yeah. Uh, the mm -hmm. X-Plane, a lot of uh, uh, X-Plane aficionados claim that that's superior to uh, Microsoft uh, Flight Simulator. Yeah, Carlos from PTUK being one of them. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'd be curious to know what Greg thinks. Yeah, it's just like Apple, Android. Apparently the visuals yeah. in uh, Flight Sim, particularly the latest version, yeah, are I think just stunning. Yeah, mm -hmm. they were. They are. I think each one has its quite a powerful computer. Yeah, has its strengths. And their strong points. Yeah. 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 I am not a flight simmer, so I can't I can't even give my opinion on any of that. So can you get rerouted on a flight sim? Can you get rerouted well, on a it. flight sim, Liz asks? Um, <laughs> can you get rerouted? Probably not. <laughs> In the most realistic versions, of course. Yes. You got to pay extra for oh, that, yeah. you know, upgraded version. That Wait a minute. will give you all the frustrations. <laughs> it's of the Captain Jeff edition. Pilot <laughs> Liz says it's the Captain yeah. Jeff edition. <laughs> the Captain Jeff edition. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Uh, Excellent. Moving on. Um, 
Robert, uh, south of the big chicken, um, not the big, big giant chicken that they're building in Southern Georgia, but, uh, the one in, in Mayretta, Georgia, uh, he says, um, let's see, uh, well, he sent a link to the story. United airlines is giving away a year of free flights. There's only one catch. This is from Inc. Dot com inc.com the airline is joining other companies that are incentivizing customers to get vaccinated and i guess they're basically enrolling you if you're part of their program which is called what uh, i should have highlighted it i knew i should have highlighted this mileage plus so if you're part of their uh, frequent flyer program mileage plus you could win a free year of travel just by proving You've been vaccinated. So anyway, interesting article and uh, interesting incentive. And uh, maybe one of our listeners will win a year of free flights on United Airlines. I'm going to win. Oh, really? You don't even fly United. (laughs) I could. You could, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for telling them that, Jeff. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You're a strong supporter of United for sure. Go ahead, Nick. (laughs) Why would you not want to if they're free? If I'm saying, I don't know. Yeah. Well, no. I think. Yeah. You to, when you initially fly on them, Nick. I don't think that the flights are free. I think you have to win the contest. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Ah. Uh, okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, continuing on with Brett. Uh, airline changes flight plan to pick up stranded travelers. Ooh, this is a good feel-good story. Um, the, uh, airline that, uh, except for, for Nick, um, yeah, this is the edit. airline that, uh, that no, I'm not going to edit that out. Are you kidding me? That's gold. That's gold right there. Uh, Steph usually flies on this company's, it, uh, it is. Yes. the logistics and cost of changing the flight plan for one flight had to be costly, but it seems to have turned out well and seems to have been a better option than finding another aircraft or getting all those people rebooked. On the other hand, I can't imagine 74 people of one family all flying together to get a get to a distant funeral. They could have almost chartered a flight. Wow. American Airlines ad stopped. As, okay, that's the name of the article from simpleflying.com. And again, this is from Brett. So the story, wow, American Airlines ad stopped to flight, uh, stopped to flight to pick up stranded passengers. Wow, that was a hard headline for me to read. <laughs> Got it. Flight American Airlines 1005 typically takes passengers from Dallas-Fort Worth to Nassau and the Bahamas every day. However, on Tuesday, May 25th, the flight diverted to New Orleans for an unusual reason to pick up stranded tra- uh, travelers who had their flight to Charlotte canceled. doesn't explain why or for what reason it was canceled. Probably a maintenance thing. The group was headed for Nassau for a funeral and originally had Charlotte as their connection point. Yeah. That was their first mistake. Exactly. (laughs) According to view from the wing, 74 passengers were booked to fly American flight 1266 from New Orleans to Charlotte. The group of passengers was planning to transfer in Charlotte, continued to Nassau. However, the flight was delayed and subsequently canceled, leaving this group stranded and seemingly unable to make it to the funeral at their destination. While other American airline flights from other hubs were destined for Nassau, it appeared that there would not be enough time for the group to fly to a different hub airport. Surprisingly, there was another twist in the story. The airline's system customer support manager group 
conceived a plan to divert a Dallas to Nassau flight to New Orleans to collect the stranded group. American Airlines Flight 1005, operated by a 737-800, was redirected for the special pit stop. On this particular day, Flight 1005 had around 92 passengers booked on the flight. The aircraft was configured with 16 business class seats and another 156 in economy. Thus, adding 74 passengers to the existing 92 would work out in terms of accommodating all travelers. So anyway, good thing um, they did there by not leaving them stranded and um, getting them to that funeral in Nassau. So well done, American Airlines. Good job. Yeah. I like the feel-good stories. Yeah. All right. But 74 stranded travelers all going to the exact same place is a little unusual. Yes. And so. I'm sure there were some other... Mafia. <laughs> there were some other uh, consider- <laughs> Sorry. considerations. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Captain Nick, an airline pilot guy. <laughs> um, Nick, don't, don't. Uh, don't put a hit out on me. <laughs> yeah. Let me give you the his address. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, I'm sure that the co- I mean, because the flight's canceled and it's probably not due to weather, but maintenance, that means that they were responsible for ensuring that these passengers did make it at some point to Nassau and they probably would have put, had to put them up in the hotels and everything. I mean, there were some costs that they did avoid uh, by diverting this airplane that had enough seats. But they probably would have missed the funeral. They probably would have missed the funeral. Mm -hmm. All those hotel bills are pretty expensive. Mm. Yeah. But then Liz is saying... the fact that uh, they just made their journey quick and easy and only inconvenienced the 90-odd passengers that were on board that flight already. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Good news and bad news. Good news, we're still going to Nassau. Bad news, we got to go to New Orleans first. (laughs) (laughs) But they have... They have some great uh, oyster po' boys and shrimp po' boys there in the uh, in the terminal. In the airport. Yeah. Wow. Okay, but they I probably didn't let them off that. the airplane, though. I was going to say, did they <laughs> get a chance to go into the terminal? Yeah, the 92 passengers are probably not as happy as the 74 that they diverted the flight for. Um, I could just imagine this this group of people going to a funeral, coming on board to be going, boom, boom, boom. I'd hope Hopefully not. they explain things a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe. They might have They probably did get some that. sympathy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Jason sent in some feedback to Liz, but we're going to read it on the show. It says, hello, Liz. <laughs> I've been a longtime <laughs> listener to the podcast and I hold a private pilot's license. It's not mine, but I'm holding it. No, it is his. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, last year, having completed my ATPL exams and a month before a trip to Florida to build my hours for uh, my multi-engine tr- rating, I had an inner ear issue, which upon treatment left my hearing degraded to a point I was unable to chase down a career in commercial aviation. Boo! Um, I've yeah, spent, that is a nightmare. Yeah. I've spent the last 12 months unable to even look at an aircraft let alone take enjoyment from them. But today, for the first time in a year, I listened to the podcast. And for the first time in 12 months, I enjoyed listening to the team discuss all things flying. It even prompted me to call the local flying club 
and book some time on a Cessna 172 to get my single engine piston rating wow, back. Good man. Excellent. Well yeah. done. So I'd like to thank yourself and all the crew for the amazing job you guys do putting this podcast out. Many thanks for all you do. Looking forward to not being bitter or so bitter and falling back in love with flying. Jason. Jason. Awesome. That is so Absolutely, yeah. nice well done, to hear. Mate. Absolutely. Well done. Yeah. So sorry to hear about what happened to your ear. That's just a nightmare. I mean, we all hang on a thread with our uh, medicals. So we understand exactly where you're coming from. And yeah. when someone you know, loses a medical category, it's an absolute disaster mm-hmm. for them. And particularly someone in your position who was just about to start on his career, I just feel for you so much. Yeah. I'm glad you're able to get back out and get into the 172 at least and and fly for the joy of flying, you know? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And please um, keep listening and keep sending in feedback because we'd be interested to hear about how your journey is going. You know, trying to yeah, get what that club passion you find, What the people are like. Yeah. What, what, where you're going and flying and how much fun you're having. Exactly. That'd be great. So, um, and what you end up doing in life as a career instead of flying. Right. Good luck anyway. Yeah. Good luck from all of yeah. us. Thank you. And it really means a lot when people send in messages like this to us because you know we don't uh, you know we don't know really what kind of impact we have on uh, people and when we hear that we have a positive impact which is very rare um it, we, it really uh it makes us uh, uh warms we our kind heart. of assume well, naturally we're less than 50 percent. i know <laughs> we are but that's, that's not a, don't even have to assume that it's just <laughs> true yeah uh, but Jason, it's it's also helpful too, just for other you know folks in the community to hear stories like that who may be going through something similar and they're you know kind of you know not as excited about flying as they once were, and to hear someone else getting back into it and picking it up, um, you know that's a little contagious. So exactly right. Definitely, I don't know. Send us more. And thank you, Liz, for sharing your personal correspondence with the rest of us. Really made our day. Thank <laughs> <Yes>. you. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to hear from your doctor again. all right uh oh tom i think he kind of has a yeah he's not upset with us but uh well here let me just read this a bone to pick that's the that's the best way to put it hi guys i'm sorry oh i'm i'm sorry that i'm a little bit late maybe this was discussed already in a later show however in episode 468 you were speculating about the fact that the A380 crew did not follow the proper wind shear procedure during approach in Sydney. Um, and now you remember that. That was, I think, the, uh, what was it, um, Singapore in um, Air Singapore uh, or Singapore Air uh, 380 that was making an approach to 1-6 right at Sydney. And they got into a wind shear and they were accomplishing the wind shear procedure and they turned left into the parallel the airplanes that were on approach to the one six left the parallel runway anyway i'll continue with his email then we can talk about this um so i as an a380 commander am speculating now whether you don't know of the a380's different wind shear features predictive and reactive wind shear well they're probably very similar to all the part 121 airplanes out there um 
in, including mine, my, my lowly Boeing 717 and Mad Dog has, uh, uh, these, uh, these features, um, predictive yeah. and, uh, and, and the, all, all the Airbuses, all the Airbuses do yeah. that. Okay. A uh, wind shear, um, ahead caution, amber predictive wind shear di- diversion is recommended if observation and checking of weather seems not appropriate for landing. Uh, the second wind shear ahead predictive wind shear, uh, go around, perform explicit permission to change configuration. Uh, the third wind shear, wind shear, wind shear, which is red, which is reactive wind shear. And that's a, uh, the wind shear recovery procedure or wind shear procedure is mandatory. And uh, he says, according to your report, I think they may may have received only a wind shear ahead warning, which would explain why they just flew a go around exactly according to procedure. Greetings, Tom. Now, I don't know, maybe we weren't very clear about what we were saying here, but I don't think the issue was that they were not um, performing the wind shear um, reactive wind shear or predictive wind shear procedure properly. It was that they improperly turned to the left when air traffic control turned them, told them to fly a heading at 270 and the shortest, they, they, uh, and they said turn right heading 270 and they didn't read back right and they turned to the left, which would be the, way, the, the long way around to get to heading 270. And so they flew, they took their airplane into the flight path of some other airplanes and that's what caused the problem and that's what why the investigators that's why we were even talking about it because it was an incident it was a bad a bad maneuver that they performed not the wind shear escape maneuver uh i think they did that just fine um but it's just they botched the go around i uh, i'm pretty sure and i'm going from memory here because mm-hmm. i haven't re-listened to what the show said i'm pretty sure i asked the question um, if they got a wind shear warning, why were they turning, considering mm-hmm. turning until they were yep. out of wind shear? But that was supposition. I had no um, – we didn't know what uh, type of wind shear warning they got. We just mm-hmm. knew they got a wind shear warning, yep. uh, whether it was wind shear ahead or, um, you know, uh, an amber or red or whether they were in wind shear. Um, I don't think we were aware uh, no, I don't really I agree. If you, doesn't matter if you get a windshield predictive warning, you're you're quite uh, you just do a standard go around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right, and I I agree hundred uh, percent. Yeah, so, we we agree uh, with Tom. But yeah. the problem is that the go around procedure is what uh, they they just turned completely the wrong way, and that's what yeah. caused the havoc. So. Yeah, regardless of whether they were flying the correct windshield recovery procedure, right. They just turned the wrong way anyway. So, uh, yeah. Uh, having said that, uh, great to hear uh, your um, observations mm-hmm. on the way that the A380 flies its windshield. Uh, it might be a little different from the 340 that I flew. I, I'm not sure if we had both an amber and a red windshield ahead. Uh, but then again, my memory is failing and I no longer have the manuals to uh, check up on these things. Certainly. Yeah, we'll get some for you. So you can uh, reminisce. Oh, thanks. Some light bedtime yeah. reading. Yeah, yeah, that'd be mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Or you can. So I, I'll, I'll just send you iPad. I'll I'll send you the copy of the uh, Boeing seven one seven. You can read that too if you want. Um, <laughs> thanks. But uh, basically, Since you never have. I'll probably do very well. <laughs> oh, thanks. You're right. Um, yeah, pre- <laughs> we have predictive wind shear on our jet as well, and we have the the yellow and and red. You know, the wind shear ahead, wind shear ahead, and all that kind of stuff. So. 
same sort of thing. I think, as Nick says, um, I think most modern, in fact, almost probably all the uh, airplanes carrying passengers out there have these, or not all of them have the predictive. I take that back. The MD-90, for some reason, didn't have predictive wind shear, but it did have reactive wind shear. But uh, the 88 and the 717 have both predictive and reactive wind shear. And uh, I always get nervous when I'm flying in like an area where the where the air is a little bit unstable and it's bumping around. Oh, I'm thinking, yeah. oh, I hope those accelerometers don't get upset with this because if I get something that uh, thinks it's in a wind shear, I go, ah! And then you have to do the wind shear escape maneuver. That's just always a pain. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There you go. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, for uh, I. That, so that that was it. We weren't really we weren't you know um, upset about the wind shear escape maneuver. We were just yeah talking about the no, fact no, that and, and a lot of these comments are just you know thoughts. Uh, yeah, they're not so much criticisms or right or supporting an action. They're just uh, you know uh, I wonder if he thought about this. I wonder if yeah what happened there. Right. Exactly. And you know we always guarantee that we're at least fifty percent accurate. Absolutely. Yep. Or yeah, just below that point. Make sure you do number no, no, 17. No, 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 no. 50%? Okay. Yeah. 49.9. Yeah. We aim for 50%. For 50%. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hey, you know, we're almost ready to end the show. And I think we're going to end it on a positive note. And this one. At, just for a change? Yeah, for a change. <laughs> um, and, and more than just the positive note of, oh, thank God they're almost finished with the show. Um <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I don't know if you two had a chance to, uh, if you saw this feedback and if you had a chance to, to go to this link and, and watch this, but I did. And I'm so glad that I did because it's very, very entertaining and uh, uh, just I highly recommend it uh, as David does. He says, hello, for your information for the airplane, the movie. Oh, I did watch this. Aficionados among us. Here's a link to a recent <laughs> KPCC FM in Los Angeles, uh, local uh, public radio station in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a recent chat about the making of airplane exclamation point, you know, airplane, the movie. And uh, so he gives us a link to that. And I thought, Oh, what's this all about? And I, and I watched it. I mean, it wasn't too long. Was it uh, stuff like maybe an not hour. an hour? Yeah. It's and an hour. Yeah. It was, I mean, it didn't seem like an hour at all because it was so entertaining. They had, um, no, the uh, the direct there was there were three directors, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of unusual, and and they talk about a lot of this a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and the the difficulty of getting anybody to take them seriously about what they were mm-hmm. wanting to do, and then like giving the scripts to potential actors and um, act, you know because they the, knew from when they wrote it you know they wrote it uh, well they wrote some of it with certain people in mind but they knew they wanted to have serious actors in these comedic mm-hmm. roles but playing it seriously so that it would be funny. Right. And that was very difficult for them to convince or, or, you know, kind of explain their vision for it to these more classical actors. And I loved what they were saying about Leslie Nielsen. Uh, they said when he was first doing a read, th- a read through or whatever they call that, um, he was, he, he was kind of injecting some humor into the way mm-hmm. he was saying some of the lines. And then they said, no, 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 no. Uh, okay. Go home. Here's your homework. And what, what was the, the movie it was based Zero on? Zero Hour. Zero Hour. It goes, go home. Here's a copy of Zero Hour. Watch this. This is the way you have to play this part, which is completely serious. And uh, they said the, the next day, it was perfect. 
Yeah, he played like, it, he got it to AT. Yeah. He understood the humor of playing these parts straight, even though it was ridiculous. Apparently, Peter Graves just like <laughs> threw the script across the table the first time he yeah. read it or something. It was right. like on a flight. This is garbage. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, it really, really uh, interesting behind the scenes stuff on the making of the uh, and the movie. And uh, I just thought the um, the directors were great. The way they were kind of uh, interacting with each other about you know com- trying to convince the mm-hmm. the parent company to to actually fund this uh green thing. light it green light green it yes yeah. green light it i don't know all the terminology. highly recommend watching this if you're if you're a fan of airplane i, I also mean, highly recommend isn't? i think i've recommended <laughs> everyone should be obviously. i know also yeah. highly recommend if and i've recommended it before if you have not watched zero hour and you are a fan of airplane rent it watch it you can find it i forget which it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something, Hulu, I don't remember, mm-hmm. for a couple of dollars. It is well worth watching, and you'll understand where Airplane comes from after watching that movie. And didn't and you also pointed us toward um, a YouTube video that is like a comparison, like a direct comparison between Zero Hour and they, Airplane. And they even they mentioned pointed, it on this. Yeah, they mentioned it. But I don't I think I've actually did. watched that. Oh, mm. I thought you were the one that um No, I've never watched that, that, I don't think. Oh, okay. Mm-mm. Maybe it was somebody else. Was it Was it you, Liz, that recommended that? Not me, no. Not you? Okay. Huh. Okay. Anyway, there is a YouTube, and they Some mentioned it. another woman in your life. Another woman in my life, yeah. Um, so many. Um, and the, if you've uh, never watched, there is a, a director's cut of Airplane 2, uh, or no. Airplane as well, not Airplane 2. Um, but it does have all of the directors kind of filling in some of the behind the scenes. Oh, those are always fun, too. Stuff. It's really good. Yeah. Oh, Mike Kuyper's. Mike Kuypers. Thank you, Mike. All oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's Mr. right. Movie. Mike. Uh, yeah, Mike Kuypers is like uh, an uh, an amazing old movie. Well, not even old movie, but just movies in general. He's movie buff. Um, buff. He's, and the he's a movie buff. Movies. Yeah, yeah. He's His recommendations every morning. Yeah, I love him. Liz says he's the Wikipedia of motion pictures. <laughs> Absolutely. Mikeopedia. The Mikeopedia. There you go. Kuyperkeepedia or something. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, thank you, Mike. Yeah, and was... I have to say, uh, there are plenty of movies that, uh, that I love that he, he talks about and some new ones, so I'm always entertained to go and watch them. Yeah, Mike's a great guy. Thank you, Mike. And uh, so, yeah, check out this. And, Mike, if you haven't seen this, uh, you'll definitely enjoy this. Um, well, in fact, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to go ahead and just so you guys can start on it right now. I'm going to just post this, see if that works. There we go. Um, it's in the uh, live chat for both Facebook and YouTube. Okay. And it's it's de- definitely worth your time to watch this. Very, very entertaining. So thank you, David, for pointing us in that direction. We do appreciate it. And Lane with, Street. With that, Lane Street, he watches movies in the buff. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think, I'm not sure about Mike Kuypers, but I certainly do. I mean, that's the only way to do it, right? <laughs> it depends which kind of movie issue we're talking about now. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> moving on, moving on. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Nick I, don't want, I don't want to know what Nick's watching in the buff. <laughs> what genre? Three Stooges. Okay. Black uh, and okay, white. Yes. Is that the name of the show? The three and Glenn shared the uh, Zero Hour versus Airplane oh, did he? Uh, okay. link in the chat room if you're in oh, the YouTube great. chat room if you're in the YouTube chat right now. So. Yes. Zero hour versus airplane. Thank you. Uh, so we can, uh, Liz can copy that and 
paste that for the people that are in the. Uh, you know, there's only one that. more yeah. feedback to come. What's that? No, there's not. No. Is there not 18? There are four. Oh. Yeah, we skipped. Oh, you skipped uh, uh, skipping again. What did I do? Which one did I skip? The- Nick thought we were going to get through all of the feedback. You intentionally skipped. Yeah, I thought we were only one short of the end. Oh. No, 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 you intentionally skipped. Yeah, I I intentionally skipped. um, You're doing fine. Let's wrap it up. Okay. No problem. Liz is saying, just ignore what what, um, Nick is saying. Wait, I've got a banner for that. He's had too many beers again. (laughs) There you go. I know I do what Nick is jabbering on about, but we'll pretend we listen to it. (laughs) <laughs> that, that is a good I one. heard that, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, it is now time for us. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a good time. Uh, time to First wrap time up. It's time for sh- me to go to bed. Yes, it is. What time is it over there? It's got to be pretty late. Uh, it's gone midnight. Uh, after midnight, uh, midnight 30. I've had a long day. All right. Well, um, and uh, just listening to the show is a long day for all of us. Um, oh, I'm emotionally fatigued. Oh, are you? I'm sorry. Oh, he's drained. Dang. Sounds well, like anyway, you need to talk to HR about, but yeah, you need they to don't go care. back to that uh, table behind <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I, I would, but you're right. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here we go. Here we go with the wrap up. Uh, let's see. If you are new to the show and you feel like you want to, watch or listen to any more of these why would you want to i don't know but you know there there are people that may want to actually subscribe to the podcast and for punishment oh by the way that reminds me um we do this uh use the youtube platform and facebook live platform actually Streamyard, which is a way that we can project it or send it to both of those places and uh but youtube especially it's really important if you are watching this on YouTube, to hit the subscribe button and uh, and hit the like you know button, uh, the thumbs up thing, because it has it does something in the algorithm that kind of makes it um, stand out to other people that might be interested in this kind of uh, malarkey. Um, but, uh, so if you, if you think about it, if you're watching this on YouTube, just, you know, you don't, don't worry. We're not, it's not going to charge you anything and we're not going to go to your house and visit you or anything like that. So, uh, it's not, uh, not dangerous, uh, but hit the subscribe button and the, I and the thumbs up. Uh, well, yeah, Nick might cause although he's pretty busy now, so he may not have time to do that anyway. Uh, so if you're uh, interested in learning more about the show, where our show is, videos and audios and all that kind of stuff, head over to airlinepilotguy.com where we have our show notes. That's our main repository of show notes for the show. Uh, we also have a special separate page for the plane tales. And you could, by the way, you can subscribe to the plane tales, plane tales, the plane tales channel. Uh, or our as a separate podcast and so information about how you can do that is on the website and nick puts in more photos and other information uh, to back up these plain tales so it's a it's a treasure a chest of information treasure trove trove of information a t-t-o-i treasure trove of information (laughs) um and um i'm glad that tickled you liz um and uh, toy. you pilots and your acronyms. yeah we Tutoy. were just acronym Tutoy. you know driven and uh other stuff there on the website as well so check it out airlinepilotguy.com we're also on social media we are you can head over to twitter 
Uh, we are at APG Crew, and you can find our individual tw- individual Twitter handles uh, pinned to the top of that page. It's tricky. Easy for um, you to say. To say. <laughs> yeah, easy for you to say. Not so easy for me yeah. right now. Uh, if you prefer, Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. And occasionally some stuff shows up on Instagram, also APG Crew. Um, to really get the full experience, though, might I recommend Slack? You might. I don't know if I would, though. Okay, hang on. Let me see if Hillel is available. Hillel! Hillel! Can you, can you tell us about Slack? Jeff, you've got to try these towels. Okay, I will, but we got a show we're recording right now. Can you come over here? Come over here. Try one of the towels. Okay, here he, here he comes. All right, let me move out of the way. Tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Wow. Is that personal, dedicated service from... One of our stars in the APG community. What? One of our I've, cleanest members. I know. Come back, Jeff. He has the you cleanest. The uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what that's I was going to say he's one of the cleanest <laughs> members on the show. I know. He's very... He's so very, was he very, following you around on all those re- reroutes? He was. He's dedicated to personal hygiene <laughs> as well as to Slack. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. He's dedicated to so many things. It's amazing. He's an amazing guy. All right. Thank you, Hillel. Do appreciate it. And with that, we also need to thank a very important, a very important member of our crew, and that is Liz Piper, hey, director, producer, Another assistant, great job. and just all around great gal in uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So thank you, Liz. Couldn't do the show without you, and we mean it. And, and with Poppy, that, who actually does all the work, and Poppy, of course. Yeah. Or, or the poppies that Liz uses to get through all of this. And <laughs> oh, well, I thought that was legal in uh, Canada. Oh, my bad. Sorry. Uh, okay. Well, sorry about that. And with that, oh, the RCMP is at my door. I oh no! Oh, she said the RCMP is knocking at her door. That's not good. All right. Well, we'll see you later, Liz. Have a good night. It was nice knowing you. Yeah, very quick out there. <laughs> And with that, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Bye, buddy. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG 
I opened doors for little old ladies. I helped them to their seats. I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy I 